Gene, 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 standing by. You know, you got this stupid bot that's going, this super robotic now recording. With this like very deep bass to like right. scare, the, scare the snot out of you when you're recording at the beginning. It sounds like oh, like an American Jarvis. <laughs> right. <laughs> Matt, what you been up to all week? Oh, you know, um, lots of shit, really. There's been so much shit going on this week. Let me I pulled I made a list of stuff that I was doing oh. or that oh, I had boy. done. We got right? a list. This is going to be this is going to be this is going to be crazy. List. We got a list. Yeah. So uh let's see where should i start so uh i was driving down the highway with a buddy of mine to go pick up a couch from another friend of mine's house who was being Mm -hmm. difficult about it um and then we saw a jumper on the highway just like going going in the whole highway was like closed off and there you know there's this dude now keep in mind like these bridges they're not easy to jump from they're like passenger bridges with these giant, like, 10-foot-tall gates that, like, curl over to make it just impossible to climb. Uh, This dude was on top of that. So, trying to jump onto the highway. Like, he really had to try. Um, And that made some some big news and stuff like that, uh, just kind of around the city. And I I don't know. Like, I don't think jumping's very common here. It's all very flat here in the Midwest, so... uh, it's just it it was a really strange sight to see immediately reminded me of that song and, you know one from yes man called jumper mm-hmm. um that was pretty interesting uh so that happened i want to say on friday uh got a little more detail on like what's going on at the hotel that i work at and what we're dealing oh, with wow. with the fbi um, so they think that the whole hacking thing that was going on, like the whole gambit was actually part of a sex trafficking ring that's being run out of there. Oh, uh, um, what? Crazy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it was like and, and like some girl like outed her boyfriend. I was like, oh, yeah, I think it's my boyfriend. And they didn't really give me like the details or, you know, because I'm not like involved in the investigation at all or anything yeah, like yeah. that. But I was like, you know, that's kind of wild that you would out your boyfriend like this. Um, I mean, good on you for doing that, but you still got with him. So, like, I, I mean, have yeah, mixed like, feelings about this. <laughs> bad judge of character. Right. No shit. Um, anyways, yeah, we got a voicemail. Um, I got their names. I couldn't find anything out about them, but I got a voicemail from the FBI agent that we're working with. Um, and he's like, he, and it's weird. It's like, it's just a normal call with the FBI. He's like, so the caller ID comes up as FBI, which is interesting to me. And then they're like, hey, this is so-and-so uh, from the FBI here in X city. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I guess like it makes sense that you would have like an FBI, FBI office in every major city. And especially since, right. you know, the president comes here and stuff like that. So it's yeah, it was just it's a really kind of surreal, very Hollywood work-life thing that I'm dealing with right now. It feels like the city I'm in is way bigger than I ever credit, gave it credit for. Um, we have, like, a seedy underbed and some mafia families and stuff. Yeah, it's, like, it's crazy. And we only have, like, fucking... I don't know how many people we have here. It's not a lot. Uh, let's see. Population. We have 
close to 500,000 people here. So it's not it's not like a big city. It's a decent size, but it's not L.A., which is like a mill. Wow, that's yeah. I mean, people tend to forget, you know, we have 50. There, there's 50 states in the United States. Crazy enough. Now, people tend to forget those are basically their own country. Mm-hmm. You know, we got 50. Uh, that, that's just one city you're talking about, too, right? Yep. So we have this is just one city. In a country that's basically 50 micro countries being run at the same time. So when mm-hmm. someone's like, it's always, it, it's crazy to me. Every time someone talks about it, it's like, oh, you know, my city is yada yada big. And then, you know, someone that's not used to hearing that's like, man, you got more people in one city than I do in my entire country. Yeah, right. I feel that way, like thinking about Puerto Rico, because my city is the size of Puerto Rico, like landmass wise. Uh-huh. So, um... And it's just, it's really interesting because we, I think we have more people than them. Uh, population of Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't have more people than them. They have as many people as LA. But our size is the same, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah I can dig it. I, I can, I can see it. Um, yeah. Okay, so other stuff that went on besides those two things. Yep. Um, oh, today a uh, friend of mine sent me this video I thought was interesting and kind of like astute timing. Uh, Boichi, the author of Dr. Stone, an artist for Dr. Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, so recently he closed off his YouTube channel, deleted all of his video content and stuff like that. I imagine it's because Shonen Jump found it and got him in trouble for drawing pages like on stream, even though it was like it was like just one spread and he only posted the pa- the videos after the chapter was out and he never showed the page in its entirety or anything like that. Anyway, so but they're they're real sticklers about copyright and stuff like that. He got into a bunch of trouble, deleted the basically the entire channel. He recently restarted it, I think, last month. Um, and today, I think it was today or recently, he uploaded a video declaring that he's going to start a educational kind of journey video situation on how to become a professional mangaka. Um, Now, something I thought was like really interesting in the way that he's framing this is he's approaching it from two different schools of thought, um, wherein he kind of gives encouragement and the basic outline and, and references other like avenues for education in becoming a mangaka. And he's like, anybody can become a mangaka. But not everyone can become a competitive, like a mangaka in the competitive mangaka industry. Nobody, not everybody can be like a published author consistently, you know, that kind of thing. But you can be a mangaka. So it's like, if you want to do this way, here's some resources. If you want to do this way, let's get into that. That's kind of what this this educational thing is going to focus on. Um things on like mindset uh, standards and stuff like that. And it's actually because he's not Japanese, which I really appreciate because mm-hmm. he's Korean yeah. for those of you who didn't know um, because he's not Japanese. He's a lot more open and willing to provide um, opinionated information and come from like a, a place of, of pride and understanding um, that a lot of Japanese people wouldn't take advantage of. They would, they would, 
like either state facts or generalize like nuances, right? Um, it's very common that Japanese people don't like providing information or opinion. Or uh, I remember there was a not to interject. Yeah. Uh, I remember I'm, I'm trying to remember who, who was at the panel, but there was this uh, panel that I remember watching when I was in high school. So this was a while ago. I don't want to date myself, but you have I know Oda, and mm -hmm. it was a panel of like five mangaka. So at the time, I'm trying to think what was the roster in Shonen Jump at the time. So they basically got, you know, all the big, everyone that was selling crazy for Shonen Jump at the time. Hmm. And they, uh, someone had asked them this question. It's like, oh, uh, like, because it's such a, it's such a broad question to be asked. It's like, oh, well, uh, how do I become a mangaka or whatever? And all of them gave somewhat different, op different ideas and opinions, but all of them were kind of tame and not really something that you can use. The one that stuck mm. out to me the most that kind of shows how the work is over there is you need to, uh, I believe it was Kishimoto had said, or maybe it was mm. Oda. I can't recall. It was one of those two. But one of them had said, you need to train your body in order to be, you know, strong enough to work as, you know, a mangaka. I'm like, Aah. that's just because the system over there is broken in terms of production. You know, you don't yeah. see anyone. Admittedly, you know, you don't see this over here because we don't have weekly American comics. There's, right. There is a weekly magazine in the UK, but mm -hmm. you're only really seeing, you know, short stories like eight pages. I can't recall if there's anything like a full Shonen Jump equivalent over in the UK because most of it's, you know, OK, part one is X amount of pages and then next week you can get a part two. So you're technically getting a bi-weekly comic. You're just splitting it up between the weeks, and it's an anthology. So you're not just getting, you know, it doesn't feel, it, it's designed and written to not feel weird that the story ends eight pages in. Uh, one example I remember reading, I think I have a copy somewhere in this room of, uh, I believe it was two, the, I'm trying to remember the year, but it's the Judge Dredd comic. Uh, I'm trying to remember the, the year it was. Uh, t not 2000 AD. It was something very specific. But basically, the I have a an, uh, a friend of mine had given me that mm -hmm. before he left. So I need to look around for it. I I didn't get a chance to actually read it. I more of those like, oh guys, it's it's more of a uh, not a status symbol, but a but a nice trophy, something to have because obviously you know you can get uh, your Iron Mans and your Daredevils and Spider Mans over here with relative ease. You know, manga becoming right. more and more available. You can get that off of Amazon or your bookstore. But magazines are kind of rough to try and find because you need to go to a place that's going to sell them. Yep. Like, like oh, I'm trying to find stuff for Heavy Metal Magazine. It's not as difficult to find it, but making sure that you have a steady subscription kind of is. I remember talking, I don't know how they do it, but it's just a regular magazine. But I guess sometimes you just don't get your subscription. I It, it just might be my one butt on Discord that's having a hard time with it. I, <laughs> I, I can't uh, say much on the magazine without really knowing for sure how it's going simply because I haven't done it yet. And there, there's only some bits for Heavy Metal Magazine that I'm thinking, you want to know what? I do really dig Bondesine. I really do. It's one of those... Mediums, the Franco, uh, for those who don't know, it's a uh, Franco-Belgian comics in the uh, French market. A lot of Bondesine just straight up does not get the credit that it deserves. It has 
a much bigger diverse lineup of topics and genres and series way bigger than manga too it's a much stronger business to the point where you know in japan you definitely have you know buildings and everything else dedicated to manga and uh, everything otaku related whereas in france you got multi-story buildings dedicated to bon dessine it's crazy and, and you open bon dessine also most of them come out maybe you get like two a year for a series you're checking out because they're relatively short they're hard to cover but they have movie tight scripts so you only get like two issues for like 10 bucks but you get a hardcover gorgeous artwork i've been really digging a lot of the bond disney we've been getting over here one of my mm -hmm. favorites has been uh, uh ulrich of mel Nibonet. and the more and more i read it the more i'm thinking man this stuff is crazy and I think the reason why I don't really get the uh, appreciation it deserves or the credit at all is because it's, I, I guess it's probably just not translated into that many languages. Yeah, a lot you know, of Bande is just not available in English. It's primarily like French or Italian, I found. Yeah. It's like the two that they do. But that's because they have like such strong comic market compared to the US, which is uh, decidedly incredibly like it's high quality, but it's incredibly weak. And then manga, which uh, varies, but is extremely popular. But in manga, they don't really print anything unless it's cheap. And then they uh, Japanese audiences seldom care about anything outside of Japan, um, just by nature of like education and whatnot. Now, that is changing as they uh, incorporate more and more tourism, especially post-COVID. They're getting a yeah. lot more kind of like foreign exposure and realizing that maybe the way that we do things in Japan isn't the best way. But it, it's really interesting to kind of see that transition and happening, um, albeit later than the rest of the world. It's still nice to see. Here's a simple comparison to really show the if it's not broke, don't fix it mentality. So yes. I, I like using this uh, I like using this website called AmiAmi. I really like figures, like merchandise. I'm crazy for that stuff. So I use the English one that's designed for you know people that are buying stuff for the AmiAmi store in Japan. Mm -hmm. Now that's the one that everyone uses for their markets. You have different languages and yada yada, and the English one just happens to serve like a lot. I switched to the Japanese website just because I was curious, and I felt like I was time traveling to 1997. <laughs> so why do okay i see why they haven't uh updated you know the jp website but i mean both of them kind of run like crap you know it takes good how i'm on maximum bars on my laptop i'm on sometimes i even try to think what if i plug this directly into the modem let's see is this going to change anything a website still takes you know like pretty long to load something and I'm checking my Yahoo page. I'm checking every other website just to make sure. Is it just the website that's kind of not good? Or is it or is it my connection? I was like, no, nah, I got a wired connection. This isn't a, this ain't it. This ain't it, Chief. It's a, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh man. I'm looking at it, I'm looking at it now. And so it reminds me uh, of a video that I saw on YouTube uh, from the YouTube channel Answers in Progress. Um, I really like their videos. They got a lot of like kind of explorative informational videos, um, hypothesis proving type stuff. Uh, but one of their most popular videos is about Japanese websites. 
and like kind of why they exist. And essentially what it comes down to is Japanese websites are kind of the result of two camps of school of thought. One of them being, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, it's very important that you retain the integrity of your forefathers and adhere to that by just building on what they've already established, right? It's terrible philosophy, but if unless you're developing something new, you seldom get proper updating. Um, mm -hmm. The second one is looking at this website. Um, it was interesting to kind of find out from that video that the reason that Japanese websites tend to load slower, look a lot more chaotic is because... Um, the Japanese in particular, based on their like educational practices and like schooling and stuff like that, the standards that they live up to versus the West, um, they are a lot more attuned to kind of like information overload. They're able to parse information a lot more efficiently than other countries, mm -hmm. um, which is also why they also seem like to, you know, they be smarter, have better grades, that kind of thing, um, but decidedly fail in other kind of more broad or um uh, abstract uh, forms of thinking, which the West is a lot better in. Um, and it just kind of serves like our own kind of like cultural philosophies. Like the West is all about individualism and progress, right? Simplifying, simplifying, making everything easier to access, easier to understand, easier to translate, um, just so that we can branch out and make better progress and improve and iterate more and more efficiently. The Japanese, on the other hand, they're like, how much information can I compact into this tight little space and make it as efficient use of that space as possible without improving or changing what's already there? Um, and so it's just like a result of those uh, of that kind of thinking compared to, you know, like a, a much tighter version of the website um, of AmiAmi from the West. Jeez, that's and so crazy. basically because the, the websites are packed more, um, they have a lot more to load. And so that's why it takes longer to load. And in here, I'm thinking like, yeah, it is a big difference, you know, just to bring it like, and to bring it all right back to the Bon Dessine. I was watching a video just showing how influential Bande Sine actually is. There's this, um, oh, uh, by the way, the uh, Judge Dredd comic, it's uh, 2000 AD, uh, came yeah. back to my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, epiphany. <laughs> Boom. It's 2000 AD. Because it's not the Judge Dredd comic, because there's other stuff in the, there's other stuff in there. So right. seeing, you know, how things go along. Mm -hmm. There's a movie that came out called Blade Runner. Little you know, a little uh, uh, noir type movie, you know, about these uh, replicants and this detective trying to solve some stuff. It's a pretty cool movie. You should check it out. Starring Harrison Ford, you know, mm -hmm. a very solid movie. Now, there happens to be a series, I'm, I'm not going to say which, that happens to also involve, admittedly, they did change it up later down the line. But if you watch one movie and then watch another, you kind of see, hmm, I think someone might have been really inspired by Blade Runner when they were making this movie. Before, th there's the... All right, let me actually set the stage. There To call this a short story is crazy because there's a comic in Heavy Metal Magazine. I, that's how we ended up getting it. I don't recall if it's in, uh, like, the Heavy Metal Magazine equivalent in uh, France. Because I'm trying to remember how they did it. I think that's uh, besides the point. There's a story called The Long Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it is basically this detective going through sci-fi stuff. Science fiction and uh or science fiction and cyberpunk specifically has never really had a visual representation of it. Like we we know what cyberpunk is, but before that story came out, we didn't really 
like have a concrete this is what cyberpunk looks like mm. without the long tomorrow we, we wouldn't there wouldn't be blade runner there wouldn't be you know cyberpunk uh what was it 2077 i think it was mm-hmm. you it, it would it, you it's crazy how a lot of iconography from a very short comic has still lasted to this day oh yeah i mean when something's good like it really touches people and it's so short too you could find it you know i'm not advocating for whatever but you could find it on the internet and read it and you're gonna be surprised how short it is to call it a graphic novel is really stretching it i don't know if i don't even think it makes full comic book length issue like uh full comic book issue length I think it's sub 20 pages or it might be 28. I can't recall, but it was very short. I read through it while I was on the, while I was chatting there. I read through it while I was at a friend's place and I thought, all right, well, he's got to go use the, I don't remember. He had to use the restroom. I think I had to do something real quick. Supposed to be like out of the room, into the room, right back. Right. I read the whole thing before it came back. So less than 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, Luckily it was drawn by Mobius. Very, very prolific uh, Bondus and A artist. He's very known for his striking colors and very, very deep. Like it's, it's not abstract, but the dude really gets down and dirty with the details. It's cr- really cool. Mm-hmm. You can tell so, he really uh, spent his time on it. Yeah, stuff. So he's going ham. You know, before Blade Runner, The Long Tomorrow. Manga and anime was uh, Bubblegum Crisis. It was Astro Boy. It was, you know, all the cutesy yada yada stuff. After The Long Tomorrow and uh, Blade Runner, you got Ghost in the Shell, Akira. You're getting all of these major uh, series coming out and giving anime a more darker look. (laughs) Now, the original Ghost in the Shell manga was very much science fiction. It was very much a... I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, but I don't think I'm going to answer most of them. I'm just going to present this idea in your head. The mm-hmm. movie Ghost in the Shell took inspiration from that. It was not a direct adaptation of the comic. It went its own way. So much so that right. So much so that you have the Ghost in the Shell movie, the animated one, not the attempted remake. Yeah, 1998. Yes, thank you. So, do you have I believe that had two movies in that series or three? I uh, can't recall. Yes. Two movies. It was two movies because um, there was Ghost in the Shell 1998. And then there was a second one uh, that followed her partner after the major disappeared. I can't remember the name of it, um, but it came out in like 2004 or something like that. Yeah. Um, but the original one I know and the director does like he's completely unashamed about it. The movie being heavily inspired by Blade Runner. That was like his main inspiration. Yeah, because there's a side by side scene and because the, the scene he showed was uh, it was uh, I believe it was I think his name's Decker mm. showing a replicant, you know, like going hand because basically the, uh, the replicants be, can be given fake memories to basically, you know, take over someone. And the dude's breaking down her memories and saying, like, no, that's all fake. Here's an actual picture. Here's the pic- Here's your picture, right? And it's like, yeah, I remember yada 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 this and yada yada that. And then you switch to the JP version, and it's basically a shot for shot recreation of it, just not with the noir lighting, because hmm. you know it's animation versus you know live action. So at least the dude's uh, forward about being inspiration for Blade Runner, because you got a lot of people that will say, oh, you know, I completely came up with this myself. Looking at you, Witcher. <laughs> I've read Ulrich and oh boy, 
I, I wanted to get into the Witcher books, but oh boy, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna give money to someone that's basically plagiarizing someone else's work, dude. I, I ended up uh, taking the deep dive into finding people's uh, like comparisons between the two series. Mm-hmm. There's not that, that's not inspiration. That that's the that's a uh, hey bud, can I copy your homework? Yeah, sure. Just change it a little <laughs> bit so that we, we both don't get caught. And he doesn't change enough. So it's really obvious who you took inspiration from. I was uh, mm-hmm. I was uh, watching a video pretty recently that came up. And this has always been kind of a point, but I'd never seen this video of like uh, Satoshi Kon movies being just readapted into American media, um, mm-hmm. such as uh, was it Black Swan and Perfect Blue, right? And like the shot for shot comparison or Paprika and Inception. These are like very well known things. But apparently there was an interview that Satoshi Kon had done prior to his death where he explored some of these comparisons. Um, and he was like, I can't believe they stole my movie. And so when I brought this up to them, they're like, oh, yeah, it's called an homage. And he's like, homage, plagiarism. I don't know what the difference is. Uh, I mean, like, if you think about it one way, it's kind of nice because they say, you know, the peak of art or whatever is imitation um, or peak flattery for that or whatever. And so, like, maybe that's the idea that they're getting at. But it's like he just kind of goes into it about being just like frustrated that he has had these ideas and wanted them to be kind of like uh, sought after and popularized and stuff like that, people to resonate with them. And then other people Mm -hmm. would take those ideas, re-implement them into their own project, pretty much shot for shot and uh, uh, make a bunch of money that he doesn't, he doesn't get any recognition or anything off of. So he's like, I have mixed feelings about this. On one hand, it's nice. On the other hand, they could have just shown my movie. (laughs) So I was like, that's a really, it's a really rare kind of peek into not only like a Japanese person mind, but Satoshi Kon's mind with how uh, certain people feel about them being or having influenced other like other cultures or properties or media. You know, um, you got Brandon Sanderson. He's another because I've been (laughs) ever since our first episode, I've been really checking out a lot of brand, like even more Brandon Sanderson stuff. I haven't had a chance to pick up. I'm going to start my Brandon Sanderson journey and my collection of his works with Mistborn because it's probably the shortest and it because of your explanation, I'm thinking, you know what, I might check out Mistborn 2 afterwards because it's basically, you know, a noir fantasy story and I'm loving that. Mm -hmm. I'll have to do an episode later on subjects and storylines and types of stories we enjoy, but it's pretty obvious from... Uh, one of mine is the pulp noir type stuff and oh, old yeah, school sure. classic adventures. But I didn't want to because there's always going to be these videos of like, oh, where to start the Cosmere and whatever. And it's like, eh, it's weird. Whenever I get into a series, if I'm late, I'll get a good chunk of it before right. I read it. So even if I don't like it, it at least looks nice on my shelf. And I could say, you wanna know what? I didn't like the series, but that bookshelf, I at least read all of it. And you wanna know what? It's nice to have a complete collection. So whenever I'm collecting a light novel, I I luck out when I find a new series that looks cool. Cause you can judge a book by its cover with light novels. It's super easy. It's like, okay, what am I gonna get out of this series? Well, you got uh overpowered looking basic generic man with black hair number sixty-five thousand with waifu of the week and uh dedicated waifu partner on the sides. I think I know what I'm getting in for. And with yep. an overly complicated long title that is has become parody at this point. 
or you see a cover and it's like, oh, you want to know what? This looks like a fun slice of life type. Just sit down, open up, a, get yourself a pop and just relax, chill. Uh, one of them that I actually picked up recently was uh, The Angel Next Door Spoils Me. And it's basically mm-hmm. just g- generic slice of life, whatever, with two characters. And it's, oh, insert shy waifu, whatever, try, uh, trying to be nice and spoiling the main character. It's it's just, I, I, there's literally a, a Japanese word for feel good series that's meant to heal you. Like there's your, uh, uh, there's Senko-san, there's uh, Yuru Camp. Uh, yeah. I believe there was a, there was a, mm-hmm. Bochi, yeah. Yeah, there's just feel-good shows. Like, you're just going to sit down, watch this, and feel good. You're not going to get any... It's not peak fiction or anything, but you definitely feel happier after you finish It does watching. its like, job, which yeah. I think is like a... It's an important metric. I was talking about this with somebody the other day, but I think entertainment uh, is definitely an important metric to judge things by. And I also think it's like important to keep that distinction between entertaining and like technically good. When you talk about media, because um, that's that's kind of like the the issue that a lot of have, people have is like whether or not a series is good. Some people like Sword Art Online. Some people don't like Sword Art Online. Is Sword Art Online technically good? Absolutely not. It's pretty much garbage across the board other than the visuals. But uh, it is entertaining and it does its job well, which makes it for that purpose a good series to some people. Right. And for the people it doesn't fulfill that job with, it's not it's not a good series and on two yeah, fronts. Yeah, you have people. I forget when I'm pretty sure I can get the timeline of when the sort of like I can I can see when this sudden shift in opinion on sword art was because you have a lot of at the time when sword art was out. Right. Mm-hmm. You have a bunch of people saying, you know what? I'm You're seeing the series eight out of ten, seven out of ten, nine out of ten. But just say it's flawed. But then you have one individual, Digibro, he comes out with this two-hour-long video, you know, breaking it down and showing just why it's a garbage series and whatever and yada yada. And th- this is just from the anime. It's alone. He didn't read the books, I believe. So That's correct. Suddenly, you know, this two-hour video comes out, and now everyone's opinions changes to, all right, so, yeah, it's the flaws outweigh the entertainment that they had when they first watched it. It's like, yeah, no, the game itself is kind of odd and doesn't really sound like it works well, which Reki Karahara admitted that he don't really play a lot of games. He, so play when he, he played five minutes of one MMO, got the idea for Sword Art, submitted it to a contest, and won. Yeah, this is a series that wasn't supposed to have continued. It was a disqualified contest entry that he decided to continue writing. This is yeah. his NaNoWriMo book, that, and he thought, you know what? I kind of want to keep going with this, you know? And I, I talked about it before, but like NaNoWriMo, you're not supposed to edit it. You're not supposed to do it. You're just word dumping. So he's effectively continuing a contest entry that was disqualified because he couldn't, uh, he got over the, I think it was page count or word count. I can't recall how they did it. I think it was word count. Oh, right. So he he couldn't cut, you know, I think one of the best parts of the original sword art was uh, the main character, Kirito and Asuna. Their relationship wasn't getting cut in the original. So, and that's probably the best part about the entire series. Say what you will about those characters, at least them getting together and their relationship at least makes sense and has an arc hmm. to the point where, you know, like, oh, yeah, you got a bunch of characters of the Spurred Women's Club, as they're referred to as part of Kirito's harem. But at least you can 100 percent say, yeah, no, these two are a thing They're You could see why they're a couple now, even more so now after uh, Progressive came out, which is the rewrite. Right. So it. 
Sword Art does do its job as being an entertaining read. And you just got to you the way I do see it, if you're going to sit down and read something, you got to know what you're getting in for and you got to know what you're reading or mm. what's your mindset when you go into it. You got to be accepting. You got to be open to it, I think. Right. You don't necessarily have to know what's going to happen. You don't have to know what to expect, but you have to be open to be surprised or disappointed. And you have to understand why. Um, this goes back to another video that I saw recently. Um, Tiabu had recently watched the Sword Art Online, or not Sword Art Online, he had recently watched the Demon Slayer movie, Mugen Train. And he went in with uh, unabashed expectations that this was going to be life-changing for him because it was for so many people and broke so many records and everybody loved the shit out of it. And by the time the movie finished, he was disappointed that that wasn't what he got. But then he took an extra second to think, but maybe I'm the problem, right? In this equation here, maybe the problem is I have too much experience with anime. I came in with too high expectations. I expected something specific out of it. And when I didn't get that specific thing, I was then left disappointed and kind of left off. And he had to keep checking himself. He's like, it's not a bad movie, even if I didn't enjoy it. It was actually a really exceptional movie with exceptional quality, exceptional storytelling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it just didn't deliver what on what I expected it to. And I thought that was like just kind of really important to take that extra second and kind of self-reflect and be like, OK, maybe the movie isn't bad. Maybe I expected too much of it or too differently from it um, on what it should have delivered me. And as he kind of talked himself through it, he understood that the movie was more about its kind of simple message and entertainment value over its technical value. But he went into the movie expecting technical mastery and didn't get that because it was just as good as the TV show, as good as other anime movies he's seen. This one just happened to be entertaining in a different way, which is what led to a success. Its success. Yeah, in the first place, I would definitely say that there are some series that annoy you with trying to present itself as uh, peak entertainment or peak fiction or trying to take its own subject matter seriously. Here's the difference. You have a I'm trying to think of a good example that would represent this one. But an easy example to show that, guys, it's just dumb fun that I not even the characters are taking this seriously is a uh, series that I actually like. It's called Eminence in the Shadow. Now, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You even know about it, too. I went into it, no way, like within the first, because I originally read the manga. So hmm. when the books came out in the States, I was excited. So I picked, I was reading the manga, all Delta, best girl, by the way, just best pupper, best girl. She's such a lovable dork. I love her. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, I know currently right now, a lot of people are digging alpha or, uh, or beta, but it, come on. Who couldn't love Delta, the best pupper? So or, crazy enough, I'm seeing a lot of people digging Zeta, I think, but I can't get the decent metrics on it because it's such a, it's a current thing still. So the freaking series is about a dude who trained himself in our world and is expecting to get isekai'd so he can be a background character uh, in Eminence in the Shadow. Mm. You know, he wants to control things from the background and do, you know, be that uh, man in the, not really the man in the chair, but definitely being this force. <laughs> in the, the Eminence in the Shadow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so when you're reading this, I checked it out in the books. When you're reading this and you and he's, you know, training for when he's ready to get isekai'd, be in the eye, you know, metaphorically, and tell me that you're going to take anything that's going to happen in the series seriously. 
there's crazy nonsense that happens, and the best part about it is everybody else, in the, he creates his own little organization. This isn't a spoiler. This is one of the main things you can read in the back of the book. He creates an entire secret organization to take down a cult that he basically pulled out of thin air when he was a kid in, in, after he got isekai'd. And he's, his organization is actually fighting. Everything he's saying actually does happen. Yes, there is this secret cult that we need to take down. Yes, there is this long uh, destiny that yada yada has. Yes, there is all this other stuff. You don't believe it, but it's actually true. Unlike Haruhi, where Haruhi makes the plot happen and makes the things happen in the series, it is pure coincidence for Sid and his crew. At one point, there's a character and they're trying to find a sister. And he's thinking, oh, I'm tired with this. All right, boom. He chucks a knife and he's like, oh, shit, I missed. And it's like, he needs to uh, save it. It's like, boom, look, she's right there, clearly. And the, uh, they kind of just bullshit. It's like, oh, if you triangulate the positions and yada yada, it's like, you're right. And it turns out she's actually there. <laughs> and uh, it, the more you read, the more I was like, okay, you can't take this seriously. But it's an, it, it is pure entertainment whether or not you're gonna get it whether or not it's your type of entertainment that you enjoy up to you but it's but the sheer absurdity and the characters definitely carry it there's a i'm i did get really surprised when of all gotcha games to come out and to have you know more lore and more stuff building for the main series eminence in the shadow got one wow yeah i'm surprised like i i take the series i do there are some bits that are missing that you can definitively say it's nice to know that oh um the current secret base that they're at right now zeta found it mm. because there's there's so little of her right now because she shows up so late in the books there is zeta who is basically your super secret spy assassin type and then there's ada uh eta and She's the scientist of the group. Mm -hmm. She's always wearing like a lab coat. She's very quiet, but you know, she's really, she's the one that's made all their tech. She's the one that's, you know, anything that needs to be sciencey. She's the one that they go to. Right. And both of those characters show up way later in book four. Whereas, you know, there's major arcs that have happened between books one and three that it's odd that they weren't, you know, participating. In fact, I think that they're the, I think they debuted in the anime before they did in the book. I need to look at the timeline again, but the episodes they debuted in the anime was might have been before book four came out. So you got to see what they looked like in the anime first, and then the book came out during when the anime was going. I, I got to check the timeline because that's they probably really got they probably movie. got notes or something from the illustrator of the book. Yeah, they're like, hey, can you design this character because we want to introduce them a little bit sooner? And the illustrator's like, yeah, me show you what i got because they've always said like they they're it's one of those things where they always did say oh there's x there's you know x amount of people because they, the, they're the seven right so you see five of them throughout most of the series and it's like well where are the other two and then boom the other two show up later it reminds me of like uh was it uh harem in a labyrinth or whatever but then it's just like one girl and you get a little bit of like yeah. a future snippet of him traveling with like three other girls and you know, he's like checking on his like future son or something that's working on a farm somewhere. I don't know what the deal is yeah. there, but it's like, OK, so that's eventually where they're going to end up. But for the whole series, it's just like just the just the one girl. It's not it's not a harem. It's just called harem. But it's like almost as bad as like how to pick up girls in a dungeon. And he never picks up girls in a dungeon. At least that you oh man, seeing Bell like this episode, I guess we're going to try and uh, you know what the the theme for this episode would be entertainment versus quality. Indeed. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. You can go into a series you know, wanting to just be entertained, or you can go into a series trying to grasp peak fiction. Oh, certainly. But I think uh, an example the, the author me. is just as kind of responsible for setting certain promises early. Um, Cause that's like something that's really, really important is when you're writing a piece of media is establishing specific promises so that people are allowed to suspend their disbelief from those promises, uh, which is like why you get so disappointed when you set up a series of rules. And then when those rules aren't followed, you're very disappointed. A very clear case of this was um, the, uh, Akashic Records anime, uh, where mm -hmm. in the, I believe it's the first episode where this guy, Gen, uh, kind of displays this unique ability that he has where uh, he's like one of the only mages that knows how to fight hand-to-hand -hand combat. So his fighting style when he's like taking on these criminal organizations is to dispel magic in the entire area and then just beat, pe beat the shit out of people. But... That's not to say that he's not good at magic because he it's revealed soon after that that he's actually really good at magic and understands it on an inherent level that most people don't. Uh, he just prefers this method of fighting because it's just faster and more efficient to take someone down from the onset than it is to outsmart them. So he gets yeah. recruited to work at the school uh, and needs to prove himself to this class of uppity rich kids who are learning about magic, um, about how magic works and that he actually is uh, prepared and qualified to be this teacher of their class. In order to do that, he explains the magic system. It's very, very interesting in how he does that, where he kind of takes the principal guidelines that they have, incantation magic. You say a sentence, you fire a spell, right? So he gives them this basic spell, this like, uh, blah, 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 lightning, something or other, you know? And so they're like, yeah, that's a basic lightning spell. It's like, okay, so what happens uh, if you just erase this part of the incantation? And they're like, well, it won't work. And it's like, wrong, it will fire right and like okay but that's not its intended use no but it can be useful so then he starts going kind of through all the different ways that they could uh kind of mix and match all of the different words to get very specific results that are very useful in combat situations blah 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 um, and then he goes on to kind of further exemplify that it doesn't even matter in the incantation. The incantation is supposed to evoke a certain kind of mental or emotional reaction out of you. That is what directly influences the spell. So you can eff effectively completely forego it. And he's like, oh, whatever, lightning. And then it just shoots the lightning spell, even though he doesn't say the incantation basically at all. So really, really interesting concept to kind of see this used and explored, uh, except they drop it. <laughs> It does not continue <laughs> from that episode. They never visit that again. And I was extremely disappointed because the author had established a promise that this is going to be a core piece of the media and then it isn't. <laughs> so I'm watching the whole series expecting this thing to happen and it's not. And it broke its promise to me. And that left me you disappointed and unsatisfied. Really hmm. that, that scene... You're talking about, I remember it again. You know what that scene really gave us? Hmm. Him whispering to the student's ears, like, I love you. And then she becomes blushing. It's like, boom, see, look how powerful words are. Look at her face. Yes. Her uh, expression. The fact that she's blushing. And now everybody in the class is looking at her. And she's getting more and more embarrassed. She's like, she has the teary eyed, has the pouty face, the very blushy on the nose and everything. It's that's what you should have seen. And what you should have was like, all right, so yeah, we're explaining this and that. 
But if you really pay attention, the scene was only to set up. Boom! Look how cute she is. That's true. That is that is the other promise, is that there will be a kind of dynamic relationship between these two characters, which does happen, but I didn't give a shit about because the magic thing was cooler and more focused. <laughs> but this is also kind of you like an issue in like really good anime as well. Like Steins Gate, for example, is where you spend the whole series going after the his best friend or whatever who keeps dying over and over. But then he yeah. gets together with the girl who isn't her. And you're like, well, hold on a minute. Like, this doesn't make any sense. But if you go back and watch it a second time, they're like laying breadcrumbs that are just overshadowed by this overarching plot of him saving this other girl and being obsessed with her there's like oh that now it makes sense why they got together it just wasn't as much in focus and so that's just not the promise that i attached to but it was a promise that was given you know what's the i just thought of right now that i can compare the hmm. uh, eminence to so eminence i read the back of the book i was expecting you know generic isekai yada yada i was more entertained by what I got because it actually blew my expectations away. It was dumber than I thought, but in a good way, mm -hmm. it was dumb fun that I enjoyed. I went into Goblin Slayer expecting dark fantasy, expecting, you know, Ulrich, expecting more of the genre that the author promised. There was an interview that he did with the anime man saying, oh, well, you know, you don't really have dark fantasy here in Japan. So I wanted to make more, you know, Berserk uh, after the, uh, Berserk after the Golden Age arc is actually a pretty good example of dark fantasy with how you have all these demons walking around and just how Guts isn't a bad person. He just needs to do a lot of bad, you know, quote unquote bad things in order to continue to survive and uh, do things. Yeah, so, yeah, I label Berserk. Yeah. So to the point where he's fighting demon gods. So he needs to wear a cursed armor in order to power himself up in order to face them. He's a man that needs to basically break himself down and wear this shit in order to actually face the things that are, you know, to reach his end goal. So I, I, I put, you know, berserk into that category, especially with how crazy some of the dark apostle stuff gets reading goblin slayer. I'm expecting that that is not it chief. That is not dark <laughs> fantasy. If uh, I don't know how many you've read hero, but Early light novels was people's D and D campaigns mm. in the early, you know, eighties, uh, nineties, and two thousands. Before, like the two thousands became more like urban fantasy type stuff. Right. Record of Lotus War re uh, and a lot of other fantasy uh, light novels were someone's D and D campaign. So randomly, you're going to have these characters that are suddenly important show up in the middle of the show if you're watching it, or in the middle of the book if you're reading it. Just re or like like later. I was like, oh, hi, insert very important character that we know already and not going to give any backstory to. How are you doing? I was like, hmm, now that I know the context behind this story, it kind of makes sense why this very important character just shows up randomly. It's because, oh, someone joined their campaign later when they started. You know what I got from De from uh, Goblin Slayer? Hmm. I got uh, I got R-word goblins in a D&D &D campaign. Yeah. yeah. It, it is not like dark fantasy my ass. If you get rid of the goblins, it is the same schlock as some. I'd say it's weaker than those. You know, I'd rather reread, you know, Record of Lotus War than Goblin Slayer. Mm -hmm. I understand people enjoy it, but it is not what it. The it's it entertaining, not false, good, is what you're saying. It is a false promise from the author. There is a scene where they go to a armor shop and they wear the the iconic bikini armor the girl's got to put that on and i'm thinking 
Oh, yeah. And I send this to people in my Discord. You can see how I'm getting very heated about this now. <laughs> I send this because there are some people in like a Discord I'm in that actually really like that series. So much so that one of the mods made Goblin Slayer a sticker. So here I'm thinking, hey, guys, uh, yeah, Dark Fantasy my ass. And I send him a pic and I send them a picture of the scene because it's a it's a light novel. So you have a full illustration of the girls in the armor. The sending is like, oh, well, in that scene there, they know that the armor uh, provides a buff that uh, makes them more attractive. And yeah, I was like, so, it's, so are you coping with me right now? Or are you trying to uh, just ignore my point? You know, dark fantasy has, it's more intrinsically tied to the idea of law and chaos where there is no good and evil. There are chaotic forces and there are lawful forces. Those who wish to change the status quo to their, you know, thing, or those who wish to uphold their status quo. Right. Maintain so, order versus uh, change the order. Essentially. Yeah. Neither now, neither side is good, way, neither side is evil. It's just one side benefits over the other. Obviously, you uh, a lot of people kind of construed that to where chaos is always bad, but then ignoring cuz uh the whole like law versus chaos thing, it's always been around, but in to that Ulrich really sh like put that in the forefront and gave everyone a lot of ideas as to what it is because he the way he um the way the series is presented is, oh, there's going to be bad people, you know, like terrible like, like terrible, evil, disgusting people that uphold the status quo, that are lawful, you might say. Oh, yeah. That was uh, something that I thought was really interesting about the most recent season of Alice in Borderland that I had watched recently. Um, there is a lawyer character who existed in the previous season. I don't remember his role. He was on the bad guy team, though. Turns out he's like a game master. So he's like still on the bad guy team, but way more important his motivations for doing so is also very kind of like interesting wherein he is like so wrecked with guilt of having to defend criminals uh, that he knows are guilty um, just because of like the law firm that he works for. Like these are powerful people who've like, you know, killed children and started wars and all this other stuff. And he has to defend them as like part of his job, but he feels so wrecked with guilt that as judge uh jury and executioner in these games he wants to remove himself as much as possible so he creates a game that's entirely random entirely based on luck um and guessing and he has to participate as well as part of that game and so i just thought that was like a really interesting kind of like character dynamic for a villain to have to be like I am so in tune with this lawful nature of mine that I will actively resist the chaotic world around me and kind of work against it and remove myself from it. And people can you know, say whatever they want, but at least I can die with a guilty conscience if I die. Or with, with yeah, there's a, a reason why. Go to the, hmm? no, sorry about that. Uh, there's a reason why when you have the it, it obviously didn't spawn from this, but it's a good example. If you there's a reason why the D&D &D alignment chart. There's a spectrum, and each of the uh, admittedly that's supposed to be for the D the DM to like set up scenarios. Where it's like, all right, so this guy is normally this, so I'll set up a scenario and see how that plays out. Unfortunately, too many people really stick to or either they either misunderstand the chart or they stick to that only and not realizing you know people are flexible. You know, there are some situations where sometimes I'm gonna act chaotic neutral, sometimes I'm gonna be lawful good, sometimes I'm gonna be chaotic evil in this situation. It, it people of a range so to me i see all right so if you take down take out the goblins what do you got and just replace it with something else 
Oh, this is Titans. just someone's DND campaign. <laughs> DND campaign to the point where, see, I went into it with better expectations. Here I'm thinking, all right, Goblin Slayer, why is he like that? So someone gave me an incorrect uh, description of it. Originally, I thought, okay, so Goblin Slayer is so obsessed with slaying goblins that that's why the characters in the book don't have actual names. You know, it's, oh, Priestess, Cowgirl, Guild Girl. Uh, sword maiden, yada yada. It's like just generic names. It's like so you're not important to him enough. You're you're not important enough to him to for him to remember your name. You're just your role to him. And then I'm here. I am because um, admittedly I shouldn't. The uh, there was information that I got from the interview that the anime did that the anime man did with the art the author that sort of changed my perception when I actually read the book. Here's my my idea was that's how obsessed he is. Because I saw, like, two episodes of the anime. I'm like, you want to know what? This is edgy. This is really over the top. This feels like someone's trying to make a point where, you know, you have the uh, you have this, like, generic isekai team ready to go raid a goblin lair. And then they all get brutally murdered. And then the real main character shows up. Right. It's like, it's shock value motivated by some sense of uh, a message, right? I, I, don't, I don't know. It felt over the top. I really don't dig. You know, when people say, like, oh, it's dark. And yada yada, it's like, oh, what they really mean is edgy, violent, and gory. Right. I was, uh, to bring this, to give an example, there's a movie, there's two actually, uh, in the DC animated universe. One is Injustice, because they did an adaptation of it, and uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. So both of those, they were entertaining. But good? Yeah, no, this is terrible. Imagine... Because obviously uh, with the Injustice, that's its own. It's an adaptation of another storyline, so you don't have to connect the characters. But with uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, that's a continuity from starting from Flashpoint. So because that's how DC and Marvel like does some of their stuff. There's usually like, continuity. But like DC so far has done the here's this era of direct to DVD movies and stuff. They all have a continuity and you can watch them separate, but you'll know if I watch the Superman stuff, it does, you know, continue on from the last Superman stuff I watched. If I watch the Batman stuff, there is a bit of a connect connecting line between this in this version of the animated universe. Mm. How, oh, lo and behold, if you started watching all the DC movies, the animated ones, not the whatever Snyder decided to pull out of his ass this time. If you watch all the DC animated movies, starting from Flashpoint, going to Apocalypse War... Oh, man, I bet you just adore your favorite superheroes getting shredded, killed, and brutally murdered for no reason. Sometimes off screen or on screen and just violently just wrecked because they can. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was so, kind of my issue with uh, Invincible as well in the first episode. So, like, and the thing I liked about the show, uh, keep in mind, is the mystery aspect. Is like the, this kind of game that Omni-Man is playing against Cecil and the government and stuff like that, where they're both trying to figure each other out and kind of, you know, like, uncover the secrets of what's going on uh, post-episode one. But uh, for the spoiler alert, whatever, uh, in the first episode, he goes and kills the kind of surrogate Justice League. Right. The the people who guardians aren't of the globe. Yeah, guardians of the globe who aren't the guardians of the galaxy and aren't the Jack, the Justice League, but basically are. And he kills all of them and whatever. And they don't linger on it too much. Like there are people who react to it like, oh, my God, those were our heroes. 
but like that's not the point of the show so they don't spend too much time on it nobody really knew them or anything like that they give you a little bit of time with them by seeing them in action at the very beginning of the episode you see a little bit into their lives to give them a little bit of sympathy and then by the time they die you're like oh shit i didn't expect that because that's not how these stories usually go but ultimately you don't care about these people you don't know anything about these people it's like whatever man but then you're like hooked okay it was like well why did he kill them like maybe it was a good reason he's supposed to be a good guy and then you slowly uncover oh he's not actually a good guy he's a pretty terrible man he kind of exemplifies this in the way that he reacts to certain things that reveal that he clearly has animosity towards the human race um that he's just kind of like burying it within himself but then it's like Mm -hmm. the real twist is at the end of the story where he's trying to kill his son mark um and then Mark appeals to his own sense of empathy that he didn't realize he had grown um, in raising Mark on planet Earth and like living a genuine lifestyle that he runs away from it. He's terrified of it. Um, I'm not sure what is going to follow. Maybe there's going to be a huge war or something. I don't know. Um, but oh, I thought you've it... only uh, seen the show. Yeah, because season two is coming out. I've only seen the show. I haven't read the books. The books are also paced differently. Uh, the the very order differently yeah, it is crazy. <laughs> it's a very different order of events. Um, in the books, you spend a lot more time with these people. All the stuff with like Mark's powers and stuff like that happened before he kills the Guardians of the Globe. Um, and so it's it's more of a it's services better in the medium that it's in, which I think is also really yeah. smart about the adaptation. Right? Is like the comic itself was smart based on it, the kind of media that it's presented in, right? It took its own advantages as a comic book that's been running for however long and kind of uh, circumventing that into a unique way. And then the TV show understands that we've been given superhero content for a few decades now. Everybody's used to it. It's very modern, very um, uh, mainstream. And so they just kind of skip all of that and just get to the good stuff um, and then frame it around something that the audience will actually care about, which is the mystery aspect. So, but I thought that the was interesting good. thing is they actually did change a bit to accommodate that. Mm -hmm. Like in the comics, the immortal was another person that was expecting Omni-Man, but in the show, he did actually trust him, which made that even more sad to see. Especially when, you know, spoiler alert again for how long, how old is the show? Like, like two, two years, three years, two, three years, yeah. something like that. Spoiler for the spoiler, he does come back and he's pissed. But it's framed more as I trusted you and you did this. Yeah. And then and then he dies he kills again. Him again. <laughs> yeah. And now the whole world knows about what's going on. But in the comic, it's more I was right about you. And he's, you know, he's not always going to fight him again. Yeah, that definitely feels like less heartbreaking for sure. Yeah. That's like, yeah, Instead I mean, of, it's literally yelling, I told you so, because <laughs> like, you're fighting him. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I don't recall if it was like that, but the scenario was essentially that I told you so. I now I got to see what I can do to stop him. Whereas in the show, it more framed around, it's sad that, you know, I thought you were my friend, I trusted you, and so on and so forth. And I think you even get to see, I believe it was a montage of who the different people the immortal was in history. Yes, you do get to before. see that. Yeah. So that was definitely a nice touch. Seeing him, I think he was, he wasn't King Arthur. He was Lancelot, I think, right? Um, I don't know. I think he was. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, because it was a, 
just a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it was like a very much a, a Wolverine situation where he's just like a prominent figure in history. Yeah. So definitely gotta aim and see what you're doing. So if you look at, uh, as soon as I hear for the author, he's like, oh yeah, no, uh, it, it's like a RPG. You know, this person is the priestess. This person is the yada yada and so on and so forth. It's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me this, my idea was giving it too much thought. <laughs> and it's just, oh, that's just how it is in RPGs and yada yada. And it's like, oh, so it is, this is just the D&D campaign that you probably, I mean, he probably didn't have, you know, I, I say it like that, but he probably didn't have it. He was probably, he's actually trying to write these like books, like a dark, quote unquote, dark fantasy books, but it's, it's a someone's D&D campaign. Right. Oh, hey, he gets the priestess afterwards. He gets the archer. He gets the, I'm pretty sure the lizard guy is a cleric. And then the other guy, I'm trying to remember what the other two classes are for the other two. Cause I just can't remember them. You only remember the you only remember the elf because elf, and then the priestess because she's in everything. She's from the beginning, right? First episode. Yeah, yeah. she she's part of the original party. So yeah, no, there's to, to cast spells. It's the generic like I cast resurrect, I cast heal, I cast shield. Like it's I hate that. I I don't hate it as much as like bullshit incantation and in word heal. Um, yeah, the only instance that I've seen, and this is something that I thought of earlier to bring up was Mushoko Tensei is kind of being like a surprise mm -hmm. in the reverse order where you get right. so used to bad isekai that having a genuinely good one is a real breath of fresh air. Like, it's so nice. And the way that Mushoko Tensei is kind of framed and told in such an expert way, it reminds me a lot of like one's writing style for One Punch Man and Mob Psycho 100. Um, one is a bit less subtle with it than the author of Mushoko Tensei, but uh, uh, having these elements that kind of appear and are semi-relevant to particular characters, uh, but are consistent across the entire world is really, really 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 interesting to me uh because it makes the world feel a, a lot larger uh than it than it is right um this kind of brings into like a, a quote from quentin tarantino about like writing dialogue and how humans talk um and a big part of how humans talk is that we were very referential, right? We like to convey as much information and as little time as possible. And part of that process is relying on patterns. And in doing that, we make references to things. As we're talking to you about these elements in story writing, in media or whatever, we're referencing these particular shows, these particular books, and explaining to you how they relate to other books. This is also a fantastic selling feature if you're trying to pitch something, comparing your project to other projects that already exist, because it communicates very efficiently what people should expect from your particular project. So having that be a process of communication within the storytelling itself makes it feel far, far more human than any of its counterparts. Having uh, Rudy kind of determine that uh, books and incantations happen to be the most effective teaching method of casting magic, and that's why it's the most prominent um other than that's just how it is or that's how it's always been done you know some shit like that it was they like actually they bothered to explain why it is and not just all right well it's fantasy 
um, insert fantasy reasons, boom, now you got everything you need to know. Right, and then they also break down, like, the kind of logic behind it where it's closer to a coding language, which nature is, um, than it is to, like, some sort of ethereal concept, right? So in casting magic, you have to think about it logistically in a process of uh, steps and orders, Right. It's like uh, uh, essentially the way he describes it is like you have to uh, choose like the class of magic, the size of the magic, the speed and velocity, uh, blah, blah, blah. You have to choose all of these parameters of your spell before you can cast a spell. And part of that is knowing the incantation because it automates a lot of that process for you. He particularly has an advantage because he has advanced thought of a 30 year old man at a much younger age, which allows him to. Uh, incorporate and iterate upon the information that he's provided and experiment without like risk of failure a lot more efficiently than if he were an adult trying to do this. Um, there's also the inherent biological reasoning behind it where um, as you grow older, your mana circuits and development and stuff like that uh, kind of slow over time, making it more and more difficult to achieve certain things um, than you are as a child. Um, which is also similar to like learning a language, which coding is a language. So if you want to draw back to that um, and this is further iterated by Roxy, who gets jealous of Rudy and his ability to do incantationless magic as she attempts to do it, even as a king class water mage. Um, and she uh, fails and is just kind of like really disappointed in herself. She does eventually uh, became uh, saint class, I believe, which is higher than king class. Um, but she had to uh, resolve in herself that she could get stronger based on the potential that Rudy himself represents and the things that he taught her, which is really also, I think, important to showing that characters, once they reach a certain level, that isn't the end of the journey for them, right? They can go higher. Yeah, there's still, there's still other stuff that they can do later. Yes, absolutely. But to tie it back to the whole, like, referential talking, there's a lot of talk about, like, the different sword styles, their advantages and disadvantages, and how they work with and against each other, who's proficient in what styles and at what levels, um, how they fare with each other, like uh, a key point of the northern style is throwing swords, which is really interesting because it was developed as like a um, uh, mixed martial art kind of style to specifically fight mages because mages occupied much of the north back in the day. It's this whole thing with like lots and lots of world building. There's like these historical figures of reference like Lapless who comes through and like has real... Um, like uh, a hold on certain people's ideolo ideologies and lifestyles in this world, even though they don't exist anymore. And it still influences the way that they behave and they act and interact with other people. And it's, it's really, really, really good world building um, just in how these characters specifically talk to each other about different things. And it's natural for Rudy, of course, to get all the information because he's a, child growing up and you have to explain things to children so that's like a convenient explanatory method as we live through his life but it's also really interesting that that's not like the focus of his training or uh, growing up or anything like that it's just in reference to something that he maybe notices or has a question about or you know whatever i don't remember why i brought that up but it's really good <laughs> yeah oh, there's a lot that goes into it just oh man it, it just bugs me so much because you said I did read the first Goblin Slayer book 
and no, I just can't. This isn't dark fantasy. This is you going, uh, I don't know if this was a, like a reaction to a lot of your, you know, generic, because that's the thing too. A lot of isekais are just generic. If you take out, Masoko Tensei was one of the earlier ones. Masoko Tensei was the one that got really popular. Even his, even that author was saying like, hey, I'm not the grandfather of Isekai. I'm just the one that happened to have gotten popular at the right time. So now I'm giving, no, I'm getting the credit for it, but I'm not. I'm not the grandfather of this, yada, yada. Like he flat out did not, like, accepts. I'm just the one that made it popular. I'm not the one that started this genre. I'm just the one that people point to and say, he's making a lot of money publishers or and we're like the publishers are pointing at him and saying why is that publisher making so much money off of isekai we got to publish this we got to do isekai now because that's how a lot of the you know the media works whenever insert topic or genre gets popular boom the whole market shifts so that way they can get on that you know that that, that nice money in the early 2000s it was a lot more experimental actually you have stuff like boogie pop and so much other uh i guess urban fantasy type series not all and then you have stuff that came out i'm trying to remember when haruhi came out uh, but when the anime came out for haru yeah but when haruhi and lucky star when they got anime adaptations the whole industry kind of shifted towards more high school a slice of life type deal or cute girls doing cute things type stuff then you suddenly get this huge influx of people doing uh, magic high school type series. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if Harry Potter suddenly came out or something. Or if almost as if Harry Potter uh, hype was uh, sweeping the world. Mm-hmm. So this high, this magical high school thing now is taking over. And with the rise of Isak, you know, with the rise of Isakai and people making a lot of them, you see so much more of them just coming out to the point where you are getting series that are effectively parodies of the genre coming out while it's still very popular. You know, there's the the rise, the deconstruction, the parody, and so on and so forth. It's, I'm not, I, I could say I can dig it, but nah, this, if Goblin Slayer is a, is, a, is a fantasy series, but a lot of isekai series don't really take advantage of the fact that it's someone from another world. They just kind of give them a cheat and then boom, the fact that they're from another world is either played up for laughs or don't really have that much impact on the story, except yeah, for the fact like, that they got a magic muffin to make them better. Yeah, exactly. So I think a lot of it comes down to this idealistic philosophy. And I've seen this a lot in like uh, people who really like Isekai as well, just kind of studying their lifestyles. It's very much kind of like an escapist fantasy, right? It's the idea that right. you're unhappy in a particular position in your life. And instead of fixing it, you would like to just be given a new life that where you're just automatically good at all the things you want to be good at and happy in the ways you want to be happy um, without having to really work for it, which is, it flies in the face of the original like methodology of Mushoko Tensei, which is all about because you have this second chance at life, uh, you should make the most of it. <clears throat> They're just like, oh, I like the idea of just being in a new life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Rudy really isn't. Uh, he's not really good. Keep he's because he's still got that thirty year old. He's a bit of a prick, and uh... oh, he's a terrible, terrible <laughs> person. Which, uh, interestingly enough, uh, this is something that I've also kind of gathered and noticed this is a pattern that i've been seeing i don't know i doubt this is 
inherently true, but the people who seem to hate Rudy the most, like the people who speak most against the series, is because he reminds them too much of themselves, right? These people who, who like, they either feel bad or they've had something bad done to them, and Rudy represents that type of person trying to become better because he represents the, the thing that they hate most in life, unconsciously or consciously, they end up hating the series as a result and never get its full message because they don't commit to it or can't get past the fact of who Rudy is in the beginning, right? Which the whole point of the series of him is to change, right? To become a better person, to stop being that bullshit-ass, piece-of-shit, uh, pedophile person, right? And start becoming a respectable adult and learning all of life's important lessons, like don't touch girls, uh you know, against their will, that kind of thing. Uh, but they never make it to that point. Oh my God. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's a long journey. It's a long series. You know, there's 19 books and he's, uh, I'd still say he's still growing at that point. For, for context, what we're talking about, he, um, Rudy is a child, but he has, you know, his past experiences of a 30 year old in there. Now he's trying to sleep and take advantage of another character, Eris, earlier in the series now don't happen obviously that something later will but no don't happen no. early it's kind of later eris takes advantage of rudy yeah that so the tables have turned but earlier he's trying to kind of take advantage of the fact that she don't know what's what and trying to get some and it's uncomfortable to a lot of people because see yeah they're both technically kids but he's the adult because he's 30 years old he's mentally he's 30 Physically, he's still what they were like eight, I think. Yeah, like that's kind of like the point of contentious. The way that I see it, um, so like the idea is Rudy has lived to be thirty years of age. He is, by all intents and purposes, an adult by the time he dies and is reborn. He's an adult in a child body. However, now this is where it kind of comes in. He may have been alive for thirty years, but he lacks the core natural uh, uh, fundamentals. He didn't have a social life. He didn't grow up properly. So he's like a man child by the time he dies. And then he gets a child's body, which makes him a child child with 30 years of memory. Right? Like, like it, it's really confusing yeah. how to justify that. But if you think about it logically, by the time Rudy is 30 years old, he has not matured to a age 30 kind of mindset that typically would be associated with 30 year old. He is entirely a man child. He is a child in a man's body. Then he dies and is re reincarnated as a child in a child's body who just happens to be smarter because they spent 30 years learning things that weren't social norms. And now he needs to learn all the social norm stuff. So he's like, he's still going at it at a pace that a child would be. He's learning all the things like don't touch girls, don't do this, don't do that. Uh, at the ages he's supposed to learn those things. But the issue people have is that he also had 30 years prior to that to learn it. But the fact of the matter is he didn't. And so that's inarguable. It's moot. The maid is looking at him like she was... Even as a child, Rudy was kind of enjoying uh, being fed a little too much. Yeah, uh, he was exemplifying it earlier than she had expected, essentially. But he is yeah. Paul's kid. Paul is 30, and he's still doing all the shit Rudy does. And Rudy has to teach him, in being a child and learning it in his own way, that Paul can't do those things either. And Paul listens. 
he does falter and he does stumble, um, which is something like. And the reason that I brought up the whole like, oh, uh, the people who relate most to Rudy hate him the most is because one of my best friends um, actually like kind of expressed that to me. We we're talking about why he didn't like Paul specifically. Um, he really likes Rudy. He really likes all the other characters, but he hates Paul. And so we kind of broke it down. Why do you hate Paul? And he's like, and he would tell me things like, <clears throat> Paul doesn't try. He doesn't listen. He's a terrible father, blah, blah, blah. And then you, we would recount the episodes and the lessons that are being taught and the way that Paul changes from his first failed interaction to his second failed interaction. Right. Cause he fails in different ways that are similar, but different. Um, and we, we kind of broke this apart. And what he had come to the realization is Paul represents all of the worst parts of his own father um, because his father was similar, but never learned the lessons that Paul does. So when Paul falters and fails, it reminds him that his father faltered and failed and never learned. And so he's projecting that onto Paul. So if we draw a one-to-one -one comparison, because Paul fails and because his father fails, Paul never learned because his father never learned, right? Which just isn't the case. It's not true. Paul learned, he changed, he grew. And that was thanks to the influence of Rudy. Once he realized that, he started to lug Paul a lot more because it represented the potential of what his father could have been. Um, so I thought that was really, really interesting. Immediately, when Paul sees a maid, kind of... Having a happy time with herself. He's thinking, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay her a nightly visit. Yeah. And you know, a couple bits later, they're like, hey, uh, what's going on, Ma? I was like, That was well, her fault though. She did that to him. Now, we can talk about that. their history where doing. he raped her <laughs> back in high school. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's where Paul fucked up. Yeah. And here it is thinking, oh man. Uh, she knew what was going on, but then, you know, you have that entire scene where it's like, oh, mom, what's going on? It's like, the maid did something bad, sweetie, so now we gotta figure out what we're gonna do. And, uh, or I can see why so many people give the series, uh, a lot of criticism. Mm-hmm. Because it is one of the, un unlike a lot of other series, projects, etc., where people will give the excuse, oh, it gets good after X, X times 500 episodes. You kind of half seeing what the point of the series is it defeats the purpose of having him be a better character two books in so you can keep reading mm -hmm. it's way more satisfying knowing that you know i'm 19 books in and this little shit is a lot less of a little shit because he knows okay that was kind of bad maybe i shouldn't have done that maybe i shouldn't have you know said done x y and z and now it, growing up you right. know it's actually changing the way he thinks about things like this is this is uh goes back to what we were talking about earlier between eris and rudy like their dynamic and relationship you can their di their relationship is the clearest progress you can see in rudy's development because he goes from uh molesting her in a haystack to making con uh, conventional passes at her that she rebuttals to uh, leaving her to relieve himself every time he gets turned on so that he doesn't take advantage of her, to her wanting to initiate the very thing he's been asking for for the past 10 years and saying no. She keeps pushing it. No. 
I do not want to do this. That's taking advantage of you. We're not old enough. We need to be responsible. You're in a very vulnerable position that I don't want to encroach on. And then she pulls out her trump card by just uh, saying to him the one thing he's always wanted to hear, which is like to certain people really cringe and creepy. But for me, I completely get it. Like it's just like if I were in his position, I'd be entirely weak to it. I would be completely dismantled. And he is. And they have sex together. And then she leaves him. She completely used him for her own self-satisfaction and then left him. Um, Albeit it was for a decent reason. She left him the same reason he had to leave uh, Sylphie which is to grow and become a stronger person so that when they meet again, they're more compatible with each other uh, and help each other grow in a more effective way than holding each other back, essentially. Because she relied on him too much and he um, essentially anchored herself to, or anchored himself to her so that he couldn't make progress in the areas that were important to him, such as finding his family. When she left, he immediately goes off to find his family, basically, after being heartbroken for like three days. That's why we say and look, point to, all right, am I getting the entertainment I want out of this? Or is the series leading me to believe it's something that it's not? Mm. Is it lying so, to me, essentially? Like, are you yeah. promising some, me something that you're just not giving me? And if you're not giving it to me, is it for a specific reason? Are you not giving it to me because the story would be over and that would you know, ruin the whole point? Or are you not giving it to me because that's either not what the story is about or you're, you as an author are just not interested in that aspect? And then should I continue to expect this from you because of that? Yeah, so you got an example. Oh, here's a, a good example of that. So, so many people want uh, go like Gohan to acknowledge the whole Goku isn't my real father. Piccolo is my real father because uh, one, you didn't really raise me. You didn't train me. Yeah, yeah. Like, but Dragon Ball isn't a series that's going to explore that, right? Mm -hmm. it, you're coming to Dragon Ball for people yelling, throwing energy blasts, and pulling a new hair color out of their ass for a power up. You're not going to Dragon Ball to see Gohan yell at Goku for not being a real father to him or how terrible of an actual character Goku actually is when you think about it, like allowing a dictator, you know, to be alive again and now just conquering the universe again, technically making him uh, liable for all the people <laughs> that Frieza kills now that he's revived. But it's a series that you're not, Dragon Ball is not a series that's going to explore that. Not only that, but Goku isn't responsible for that. Like that's not his position, right? He, he saves yeah. the earth for his own potential benefit, which is to become a stronger person. And that's the only thing he cares about. To expect him to be a hero is just asinine. It's not his job. I think even Toriyama pointed out that the anime made him like, like try and be the hero where technically he's not. I, I, I it's, it was an older interview and it was when I was younger. I just remember Toriyama even admitting Goku isn't a hero. He's, you know, food, fight, rinse and repeat. Uh, food, fight, train, rinse and repeat. And occasionally you know? fuck. Uh, if a series decides to move or go into a different direction, I can understand why some fans would be annoyed with that. But so long as it's not lying to you at the beginning like in the case of goblin slayer for me then i can dig with it right. if you can see what you're getting from the beginning i can dig it like eminence um, i didn't even finish the first book before i realized what i was getting in for mm -hmm. i read the back of the book i had some tertiary i got some of the manga i read the actual book i wanted to see how the prose went read the back of the book and I was like yep this is the manga for sure and then read the book it's exactly where i thought it would be and i'm happy that's a my expectations were met, 
and I didn't try and make it into a series. I didn't try and make it into something that I wanted it to be. I'm looking and reading it and seeing, okay, this is a series about a dork being super chuny, which is, you know, the, see, we can't, I'm trying to not use a lot of the, uh, a lot of the anime otaku lingo. Yeah. Because then that would rely so heavily on people knowing what that is. It's just context. Yeah. Uh, so Chuni, for anybody who doesn't know, is a reference to Chunivio syndrome, which is a type of made up syndrome in Japan where kids uh, have an overactive imagination and rely on it to get through social situations. Mind you, this is kids that are middle school, high school. Yeah, usually as it's being presented. So yeah, imagine being a super mega cringe thespian in the middle of class, basically. Yep. Is, I guess, the easiest way I can point to. So this dude's a dork. He wants to get isekai and become this shadow leader in the background. It's it, it's exactly what it says on the tin there, Chief. If you're if you're if you're in for this some of these wacky adventures, you wanna know what? That is what it is. It's not gonna change. And it's it, it stays within what it knows and what you're in there for. If you're in a goblin slayer for a lot of edgy nonsense and a lot of uh oh, you know, I'm the bad at I'm the most bestest yada yada swordsman ever, and then you find out oh wait, so she's a girl. We're in Goblin Slayer. She claims to be mega cool, awesome sauce, special swordsman. All right, so I'm just waiting to turn the page to see, all right, well, when is she losing her clothes and yada yada? Let's see. Do, 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 do. All right, five pages later. Okay, got it. Nice. Yeah, that's the promise that they give to you. Uh, <laughs> that reminds me of Sugumomo, where the author inherently wrote in the back of like his second volume that his primary mission with his manga was to undress every single female character. <laughs> Just all yeah, of them. Yeah, I love that. I love reading Sugumomo. And like, you know, like, it does get darker at points. Like, in that, like, darker as in very, very mature storytelling. Yeah, like, you have an serious. entire arc in which the Black Obi arc was definitely like, okay, so this is getting a little heavy. Right, where he's got to fight his own mom. His mom turns out to be a psychopath serial killer. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, now it's that arc definitely is a bit of a ironically a black spot because immediately it goes back to some of the shenanigans. It's just now he's older and more trained. And then there's that weird isekai arc that he ended up doing. And I'm thinking, uh, I didn't dig the isekai arc, but I can respect that he wanted to do it. I didn't either. And a lot of the women in it looked like dudes like that cat girl. I thought it was a dude until she was undressed. Right. I was like, oh, damn. Oh, that's, a guy. Or, that's a girl. I'm fine with traps. You know, that's I. you know what? Yeah. Yeah. The, the... And, you know, tomboys for life. Let's go. Exactly. So so you're looking at it and like, man, that that's the earlier example. You know, you don't like where the direction of the series is going, but it's still giving you what the series promised. Right. Exactly. Which is uh, a lot of undressed characters. <laughs> It is what it is. You know, no, no, obviously no series is perfect. It's a definitely, I will say Sugumomo is definitely a roller coaster in terms of, all right, this is solid. This is kind of cringe. This is pretty all right. Yeah, it oh, also damn, it rub people the wrong way because some of the characters look like children, but are actually like super ancient, blah, 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 you know, that bullshit. I never really liked how so many people get so uppity about that. I don't either. Guys, it's, it's a piece of paper. I get it. You know, in your head, you can't really... Yeah, I, I'd rather, you know, use my time and effort doing something actual, stopping yada yada happening IRL and not complaining about it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, spend my time really fighting pedophilia and sex trafficking, then it's uh, bullshit 2D representation that doesn't even look human. There was a recent uh, meme that came out uh, where somebody 
answered the age-old question, why don't anime characters look Japanese, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's because they look like cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw <laughs> that, too. the exact profile yeah. of cats. I saw that, too, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, it does make sense. No wonder all of the cute girls doing cute things is still... We're knee-deep in the isekai thing, and we're still getting cute girls doing cute things, yada, yada, because that's just what it is. People love cats. And, right, and people have done scientific studies to prove that cats domestic domesticated humans by naturally evolving to appeal to our sense of cuteness. That's why they cry in the same frequency as babies. That's why they have similar facial proportions to babies with the big eyes and small nose kind of situation going on. Um, they appeal to our sense of like parentalness or whatever, and that's what Moe capitalizes on. It's all about the cute. The entire industry is reliant on the cute. And so when you have cute anime characters, they don't look Japanese because they look like babies and cats. <laughs> like, Oh, man. That defeats the... Um, another thing that I remember, kind of off topic, uh, excuse me, kind of off topic, but I remember doing some research on why the whole... Uh, why do anime characters have big eyes? So many people look deep into it. Like I remember a lost pause and I think one of his friends did a, like a podcast. I don't know if he's still doing it. And they had a discussion on this. I don't know. I could never watch his content. Yeah. I hate the way he sounds. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, dog pile or uh, really say anything negative on the guy, but uh, little every other sentence when he laughs kind of, irks it, it basically gives me the impression that that's yeah that's what gets me like i'll listen to him if he talks normally but he doesn't and like that's not his fault that's my fault and i'm fully willing to admit that but i'm also not willing to watch his videos right. <laughs> <laughs> no i get you i get you uh the the giggle in every sentence basically is like his desu or finding a way to laugh at something like that i mean i i definitely dig the positive can do it attitude sometimes but you know it's, it's a spectrum so i'm watching and his artist buddy is like oh well you know i or you know eyes are the g- gateway to the soul and yada yada and it's like actually you'd be surprised uh tezka originally had his own anime studio and he animated his own projects now in order to yeah in order to save money a lot of the expressions in the animation came from the eyes. So at its core, mind you, also, this is the same. This is a country that, again, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So at its core, if you could save money, because, again, anime as a whole is done super cheap. You compare, like, a season of Family Guy to a season of anime, you think, why is there such a huge budget discrepancy between these two? You know, like, uh, I think famously, I forget what series, uh, people always use this number because it's the only show that we kind of know for sure was made with this budget. Like, oh, 12 million is the entire production budget for one season, like 12 episodes. But it's not 1 million per episode. It's 1 million for, it's uh, 12 million total, pre-production, marketing, uh, uh, paying the staff, barely anything. Uh, Like, it's not... 12 million for the animation it's 12 million for this entire 12 episode project yeah the people who get paid most on anime production are the production company first the voice actors second directors and senior staff third and then everybody else gets the leftovers right so when you look at it and say okay so if we can save money by having 90 percent of the emotions and expressions showed in the eyes 
well, why don't we? And it never stopped. So we're talking, what was it, 1960, 50, I think, was the original yeah. Astro Boy? 1960. Yeah, so you got uh, a technique. I remember Sakuka is very, Sakuka is different in terms of like regular, cool, oh, well, here comes the budget moment and a lot of other stuff. It, it's so, mm-hmm. there's so many nuances that I'm not going to pretend that I know. It's more, I've been told. I do. It's a, it's a topic that I am interested in. It's just I haven't had a chance to go, do, you know, do the deep dive. I'm still very surface level. I could tell you about why the anime eyes is still a thing to this day, but uh, trying to explain the nuances between Sakuga and normal animation, ugh, please, please enlighten yes. us. So, uh, Tezuka Productions heralded a lot of what's currently considered um, the ground of or the foundation of a lot of anime production today, right? We're able to achieve a lot more because of the tools and stuff, but if we didn't have those tools, we'd basically be doing the same thing as what they were doing in 1960, which is limited frame animation, because they considered... Essentially, what it was that they were showing back in 1960 is storyboards um, that were just cleaned up to be TV-ready, essentially, right? Where you have a character who's, like, frozen, and the only thing moving is their mouth in order to save money, and then they need to change poses, so they take three frames to do that and then their mouth keeps moving because you know whatever they can just draw those three times and then show them over and over and over right really really cheap um and that was the way to make anime accessible because before it was either independently done or done for film only there was no way to make it cheap enough to put on tv tezu productions uh uncovered that specific way and since then it's been iterated on and improved on thanks to the inclusion of new tools so Sakuga, the definition by the Japanese, essentially translates to beautiful frame animation. It's animation that's done to a closer to Disney ethic style of doing animation where you have like everything on what's considered ones or one drawing per one every exposed frame. Uh, If you think about like a film reel, how you have like the stack of pictures that go through the projector, each one of those is a frame. And sometimes you show the same drawing for multiple frames. So at 24 frames per second, that's displaying 24 of those captured images every 60 or every 60 or 100 milliseconds, right? 100 milliseconds into one second. Um, So at 24 of those that you're showing every one second, then you draw on twos that's going to be at 12 drawings per second for 24 frames so you show each drawing twice essentially that's how primarily anime is done because you can your brain it fills in the gaps between those like every other frame your brain just like uh, auto tweens it inside of your head Mm -hmm. and that's the lowest we've been able to get you get lower than that, you get Astro Boy, which is like one frame or one new drawing every five frames or something. Drawing on fives or sixes or twos or fours or whatever, right? Sakuga is get is it's usually a mix between ones, twos, and threes. So one new drawing every one frame, one new drawing every two frames, one new drawing every three frames. And it's like it's utilizing those to like an expert level degree to utilize either flashy or natural movement. It's important to make those distinctions because they are very different schools of thought and uh, skill requirement. And that's kind of like what the anime industry is facing right now is there's too many flashy animators in the web gen movement than there are in naturalistic animators in the web gen movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bochi the Rock has kind of a, a healthy mix of both. 
One Punch Man only has naturalistic movement in the first episode, even of the first season. The rest of it is flashy animation with a lot of pose-to-pose stuff. If you just watch it frame by frame, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, So that's essentially what Sakuga translates to, is like beautiful frame movement. Any piece of animation that you're like, wow, that looks really good. It uses a lot of frames, whatever. Uh, It's really well drawn. That's considered Sakuga. Everything else is considered anime or just animation. Um, Otherwise, you can call it Genga, which is uh, cell drawing. That's the definition for cell drawing, Mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, I figured I wanted to make sure, seeing as uh, we actually have someone that's uh, in the industry, it's probably better to ask a professional and and get their professional opinion on it. So, yes. Oh, and the whole thing with the eyes, that was actually pioneered by Disney. Was it? Um, that has a yeah, it was pioneered by Disney for like Snow White and Bambi specifically, right? Because Bambi isn't like it's not a human character, so you have to figure out how to convey emotion mm-hmm. through non-human facial features. Um, so that was done on Bambi, and then Tezuka essentially copied that. Uh, initially, it, Astro Boy was inspired by. Um, I think he was inspired by Mickey Mouse. He could have been inspired by Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, right. um, which was stolen by wb later on he he took the same design principles so that it was like really clear what astro boy was thinking and feeling or whatever astro boy has big eyes because mickey mouse has big eyes and then the lean into eye focused animation was incorporated because of what disney was doing with the eyes and things like bambi lion king snow white etc especially with their animal characters because disney relied on contextless filmmaking um where a lot is like early disney they have since moved away from this but when you can convey emotion without words you've done your job as a filmmaker essentially the japanese took that and fucking ran with it <laughs> really hard. And they, they found out that the most efficient way to convey that, and I don't think the West ever did, like Disney got really close with Bambi and right. stuff like that, but they never they never married to it. The Japanese married to it, had kids with it, had a whole generational family with this idea that the eyes are the windows to the soul. Uh, there are also several painters. I think there's like a movie called Big Eyes, that was also centered around this idea um, with this painter who drew pictures of people with big eyes because the eyes are the windows to the soul. And that's where like all of the emotion and stuff is conveyed. Uh, CG has since come back because they were trying to figure out how to make CG look more and more realistic. And they have to study like nuances of human facial recognition to its absolute core. Um, James Cameron is the only person to get the furthest in this field with the Avatar movies, which is why his like, like when you throw <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars for CGI effects. I mean, yeah, you're going to have a quote unquote beautiful movie, but, you know, I can't for some reason, you know, the, the Avatar movies make crazy money. But then you ask someone, so what happened in the movie? Like, uh, they fought and stuff like it's harder for people to remember what happened in the second movie more but that one made more money Mm -hmm. i don't get it like i there is no it was longer it was longer so there's also that factor but it's also simple storytelling mixed with complicated design right 
It's like because they're doing things that are essentially groundbreaking, the safest thing to do is just to tell a simple story. It's the same deal that we were talking about earlier with Demon Slayer's movie, yeah. Mugen Train, where like um, the core principle of the movie is incredibly simple. Demon Slayer as a whole is super, super simple. Like it's the most basic hero story you can fucking get. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's why like a lot of people go into it with the expectations it's going to be like closer to Chainsaw Man with all of these uh, uppity action and uh, unique characters and blah, blah, you know, all this stuff that's like new and fresh. But it doesn't do any of that. It just does all the shit we've seen already, but it boils it down to its most base shape. It gives us vanilla ice cream, essentially. And some people like vanilla. <laughs> like... That's that's what it is. For the Mook and Train arc, did they re did they readapt it when the new season came out? Because I've only seen the original series. I didn't. Uh, the hype train left for me, ironically enough, for mm-hmm. the Mook and Train because I didn't really care too much about the series. I definitely enjoyed because I'm the oldest of my family, you know, the Hispanic family. Mm-hmm. You know, I effectively raised my siblings as well, so. You know, right. first episode really latched on. Like I latched onto that really well because, oh hey, older sibling needing to say this young, younger one, yada, yada. Like that, I feel you. That, I'm the same that way. That <laughs> grabbed me. You know, because I was comparing it. A friend of mine, uh, Yumre, had thrown me under the bus and still does to this day. Where I said, "All right, narratively speaking, there like because uh, he was having a competition between a, a two friends. There were two people having competition. It was him and another artist. And he asked me because I was a neutral party." Which of these two first chapters hooked you more? And it was Mm. Radiant versus Demon Slayer. Mm. Now, as you know, I said, now Radiant is 100 pages for the first chapter. Because because, it's uh, it's technically not Bond Dissine. They have it uh, labeled under Manfra. But that's uh, I am not going to get into I am not going to get into whatever nomenclature you're going to decide to, you know, name your comic. You know, pictures telling a story. Please do not complicate it. You put the title, you put whatever subject there to sell it on that certain uh, store on Amazon. Let's not get into it. So you have 100 pages for one chapter versus the, I believe it was 22 for Demon Slayer. Because as some, as I think so. so many yeah. people like say like, oh, because uh, they use Bakuman and all these other like uh, making manga type series as like a dictionary. To go back and say, yeah, look, it's because it's, it's the only reference of information that we've had for the longest time. That has changed in recent yeah. day, in recent like years, days, whatever. But yeah, that's essentially where all our information came. Yeah, you from. still go back, but and you read all these series, like wait a minute, I'm you know, look back at most of Shonen Jump. It's like okay, yeah, sure, they do the one shot and then that break, then that's changed a bit. One shot breaks into three chapters, rewritten, yada yada. But it, you still look at it, and it's like chapter one is still twenty to twenty two pages. Like a comic book, you know, mm-hmm. you know, twenty to twenty-two pages. So uh, um, obviously, depending on whatever, it can be to thirty-five, but it's not going to semantics. Twenty-two within twenty-two pages, I got hooked more on the Demon Slayer, a series that I just I'm indifferent to. I don't hate it. I definitely burnt out because of the fan base and the you know the hype train and everything else. So I was indifferent to Demon Slayer. Radiant, I respect greatly because the artwork is definitely gorgeous. You know, you Franco-Belgian artists, man, they. You, people go ham for mangaka guys look at look at these guys look at bond name look at these guys and just come on don't oh, don't, yeah. don't be nonsense with me man you got to give it credit so i'm reading it and i know what happens later in radiant because i did see the show so i watched the anime for both but i never read the comic for either of them so i sat back and knew all right so 
because episode one obviously had more than just the first chapter for both of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sat back and saw. All right. So Radiant has the clear advantage in this fight because it has a hundred pages to try and hook me versus the. Not only that, but the, it's superior art. Yeah. And yeah. So the art style also. Oh man, like I get the kind of old school painter. That what was it, the uh, Uyoko or Sumi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that type art for Demon Slayer is not everyone's cup of tea. I'm again indifferent to it. It's all right. I can dig it. So we see what's going on. I read the first chapter. Oh, uh, Demon Slayer chapter one is 60 pages. 60. Oh, yep. wow. Well, uh, there goes my entire uh, argument about that. I, but I know a lot of other manga don't have these extra long first chapters. Sometimes you just get a series and it's just 22 pages and then boom, that's it. No, next chapter. And not given this huge, that's even crazier too, because when you think about it, Demon Slayer was going to get canceled. So seeing that it started off with like a big 60 page thing, man, that's crazy. So read both. That's pretty common for jump uh, debuts. They they ask for more than 30 pages for the first chapter. Might have been the side magazines that I got because I have a bunch of Viz Media manga, you know, because Viz Media brings over a bunch of Shonen Jump stuff and a lot of the uh, Shueisha stuff. So and I'm thinking back and a lot of the stuff that I have, all of them are kind of like normal length. So I have to check and see which was which were in Shonen Jump specifically and what were in other magazines. So after the definitely uh, yeah, because it, it the standardization of Shonen Jump versus other magazines is super super different. Like um, it still baffles me to this day thinking about it. But Soul Eater and Full Metal Alchemist ran side by side in the same magazine, but they're so different from each other in tone, in style, in everything. But Jump, everything's kind of samey because they publish the same type of story over and over and over yeah. again because it just works. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it's like it. thinking about that, like they both ran in like 2007 at the same time. In the same magazine. It's crazy. In the same magazine. They shared covers together. Oh, wow. That's that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. That That's like a factoid that you got to, you know, like pull on someone that's a fan of anime and you got to pull that on someone's like, hey, uh... Did you know that Soul Leader and uh, Full Metal Alchemist shared a cover in Japan for their magazine? Just just pull that on them. They're going to freaking blow their mind. But uh, sorry, uh, side tangent. Back to the main point. I ended up going with Demon Slayer because obviously, you know, the uh, older sibling thing, the mystery about what's going on. Tanjiro is a Boy Scout. I will 100% admit he has bits of character, but he's still very, very simple as a protagonist. Seth? unfortunately falls into the same uh area of not intelligent main character for shonen so he falls into the yeah he's uh, he's very much a jump like character yeah and i'm very much a i I don't like that i don't like the uh (laughs) just hit it harder that's how i solve my problem you know i need to pull a new hair color out of my butt to uh solve my problem i need to goku it i gotta now, uh, admittedly enough, uh, I believe it, uh, Natsu from Fairy Tale is more of a shonen uh, protagonist at times than Luffy, which is kind of funny to me because I believe uh, he was his assistant for a bit, which is why you see a lot of parallels between Fairy Tale and One Piece. Oh, yeah. it, I prefer his assistant's work, actually. It's um, I don't remember the chick's name, but they did uh, the Seven Witches series. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Oh, really? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That that was a uh, hero uh, Mashima's assistant. I really like her stuff. Good stuff, yeah. So Yamada and the Seven Witches. That's what it yeah. was. 
interesting, cute little series. It wasn't uh, wasn't trying to be anything. It wasn't and it, entertaining, yeah. read, entertaining read. It delivered on its promises. Yeah. That's what <laughs> hard to bring it all back into the conversation. <laughs> so Seth, unfortunately, to me, got dinged a lot of points because I don't like those type of protagonists and. Right. There's basic stuff that I'm thinking, wait, you're in this world and you don't know what the enemies you fight look like. He was attacking cows at the beginning of the chapter. And yeah, I did find that super weird, too. I was like, OK, what the fuck? You <laughs> don't know. These are the enemy. Uh, sure. Whatever you say, man. Like, that, that's what like, if it was like to bring it back. If this was an isekai, I'd imagine. Yeah. OK, so you get confused. You don't know which is what and so on and so forth. But he's supposedly lived in this world for X amount of time. I understand that he's been sheltered by, you know, his mentor and stuff. But she, yeah, but she, she wouldn't tell him things. what they look like. She wouldn't tell him, like, OK, how to distinguish between here are the good guys. Here are the bad guys. Here are the things that are killing people. Here are the things that are cows. Now, I get it. It was played for a joke. But, you know, doesn't it was a bad it, joke because it's it broke its own rules before it even started. It wasn't even breaking its own rules. It was just bad storytelling. And just it's not it's not a plot. I wouldn't say I'm trying to think if you I'm trying to see if I can make the argument if that was a plot hole or not, because it's not I'm trying to see if that if that would be or not. Because plot, well, it's not plot relevant, so it can't be a plot right. hole. So because plot holes are very specific specific things you know when something doesn't make sense in a story and it's confusing that's not a plot hole it's just a little convoluted or you're not following it a plot hole is a like contradiction in the story that you've been presented due to information that's going on like oh i'm told one it's thing. a broken promise yeah. yeah it's i'm told one thing and then later it's like oh that's not how that works it's like so you, you're creating a plot hole uh, unfortunately a lot of manga and stuff suffer from this because you know they're working week to week but uh, besides the point so that kind of bugged me, and there's a lot of other like there, there, there was a because the there was forty more pages the there was a lot more to really nick it. At the end, I said if I was gonna read both series, I'd probably read Demon Slayer over Radiant, but I definitely still pick up Radiant because that artwork is just gorgeous. I tried, I tried really hard to get into Radiant, but like I have the same issue that you do, right? Where personally, I really like Shonen Jump like stories um they just like appeal to a certain place in my heart right. because of nostalgia and i grew up with them and stuff like that and for me when it's not done as well as like shonen jump quality or isn't presented in the same way it's a lot harder for me to attach myself to mm -hmm. it and i feel like radiant for me suffers those kinds of personal problems um where it's like it's similar but not close enough and it doesn't have anything else that it's doing for me to attach to um, and I want to like because I really like the the black fighter girl. I really, really, really like her character design, and I want to get far enough in the dude, story. I got into every time I bug Jumre, and I'm like, dude, when does she show up? She's legitimately cute. She has that hairstyle that's super cringe usually on female characters, but with her, she, she rocks, rocks it. it so hard. And I'm like, I'm super interested in this particular character, but she doesn't show up until like chapter 100 something. It's like, it's insane. And I can't get through that. The first image I saw, oh man, dude, the first image I saw of her is doing this cutesy smile and having her fingers together and blushing. And I'm thinking, who is this character? You yes. are adorable. And then I saw her cover and she's doing like a Muay Thai yes. type stance. And I'm thinking like, oh, no way, she's a fighter girl, too. 
She's cute. She can fight, and she got this. Oh, like, and like she's ticking off all the boxes. And then you find out that she's like a total sweetheart later. And I was like, oh my god, yeah. dude, <laughs> you were but, great. So that for me, that's the only part of Radiant that I'm interested in, and I have to get through so much of it that I don't care about, such as like the the mage who has like a dark side to her or something, blah blah blah, blah or Seth who. Uh, is part demon, but, you know, whatever. I don't give a shit about him. I don't give a shit about any of the characters. I don't give a shit about anything that they're doing. The magic system is, it's deep and it's kind of complex, but not really. Like, it, it's complex in certain ways that benefit itself, right? It's self-serving. It's a soft magic system with more rules, but not enough exactly, rules to make it a hard right? uh, yeah. magic so, system. Like all of these, like that, I would also kind of be interested in, but it's just, it's not utilized in a way that's unique or interesting to me in any way. And I, like, it's not its own fault. I mean, it's kind of is. It's kind of its own fault, but it's more my fault um, for just not finding that kind of stuff interesting. And there are other, like, manga and stuff like that that fall into that category. Demon Slayer, the manga is one of those things. But the Demon Slayer anime, I absolutely love because it gives me other things to attach myself to uh, in the series long enough to... They also fixed a lot of pain. Said, what? I mean, they fixed a lot of the... They did. They did. Absolutely did. So they told the story better. They adapted it into a more appealing art style for me. Um, they uh, just uh, gave uh, characters a little more meat to them. Um, yeah, it was just... it's. For me, it's the definitive adaptation of Demon of Demon Slayer. Um, I'd much prefer it. It's like if Demon Slayer handled by an amateur, you get the manga. If you want Demon Slayer handled by professionals, you get the anime. Like that's that's the dichotomy there. I will give I will give to sorry to interject again. I will give Radiant this post Hamlin. Seth is a better mm. character. He needed something to really give him the push in the right direction. And I, I still really dig Hamlin. She was a great character. She was a fun character. I really digged her. Hashtag Hamlet did nothing wrong. It sucks because, again, you have to get to a point where you get to the good bits. You get to the part where, okay, now we're going to change the status quo in our characters and really push them in the right direction. If uh, I remember um, a friend of uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, uh, Yumre had said, if you don't, if you can vibe with the series, until Rumble Town, mm. that's the make or break. If you can get to Rumble Town, if you like it, keep going. If you don't, the series is definitely yeah. not going to be for you. And I can say, yeah, maybe. Um, the anime did, oddly enough, have some filler, which was kind of odd, because I did read up to Rumble Town. And knowing what happens later sort of makes me want to go back into the series again, because I know... Things change in a positive thing in a positive way that I can definitely definitively say it. Uh, oh my god! Like I know it's cringe to say, but it does get good for the people that didn't like the series originally. It does quote unquote get good mm. in terms of like um, like comparison to One Piece. He has a full crew now. Let's say you know because I'm not gonna uh, really. It does take spoil him a while it. to get it, which I thought was interesting. I mean, I mean, it's um for the comparison to One Piece. It's like okay, so Seth stuff happens later post this arc and meeting Hamlin that changes the series in a more positive life for some people that might not give the series a chance, especially because, you know, you don't care for Seth. But then after what happens yeah. with him, it, it definitely gets better. For the comparison, I would say is like One Piece. Luffy has his crew now. And then 
you see the arcs that immediately happens after, you know, Chopper joins the crew, after Robin joins the crew. You know, just the, it's definitely a stronger story, but then you realize, oh, wait, I said Chopper and Robin. Th that's pretty into the manga. So if mm -hmm. you didn't dig One Piece before then, you're not going to dig them. If you don't dig the series when you have three crew members, you know, saying, oh, uh, it gets good when Frankie joins. It gets <laughs> good. Yeah, and I'm like, uh, personally for me, if, if you can't get into One Piece by the time you see Nami's backstory, it's not for you. Yeah. Like Nami is the first time that Oda really kind of starts coming into his own with that type of storytelling. Right. Right. And then he just kind of repeats that for the subsequent characters who show up. Chopper, Robin, Frankie, you know, it's uh, just, it's essentially the same story, but like uh, told slightly differently or with different stakes. I'm trying um, to think. Was it Jimbei or Jubei? I can't remember. I think it's Jimbei. Jinbei. Jinbei. Yeah, I don't gotta... remember if he's an official straw hat or not. I remember he was... He is now, I've heard, with like Wano and stuff. Like right, at right. some point, he's become an official straw hat. By the time we meet him in Impel Down, he is yep. not. But he okay. does travel with the crew. Yeah, because it's sometimes confusing. Because I remember for a time, Robin did the same thing, but she wasn't a straw hat. And yeah, then later... Was, well, Nami did as well. Nami did right. that too. <laughs> so it, that, that's why my confusion comes as like, okay, do you join the crew or not? Because if you're not reading it, if you're not, you know, week to week or picking up the volumes as they come out, you're going to forget like minor details and you're going to forget, wait, are you technically a crew member right now or are you not a crew member? Did this thing happen already? Yeah, they don't become a crew member until after right. their tragic backstory. You have to have the tragic backstory, oh, then you're in the crew. Like, that's just <laughs> yeah. the way it goes. So, ah, kids, that's a lot. Uh, for your series, it's another, uh, just to reiterate again, because uh, I believe it was said in an earlier episode. Try not to waste the time of your readers. Try to get to the good stuff. Try and present what the series is going to be early as much as you can. So that way you don't really have the same detractors that a lot of people have for series. Like, okay, in Sword Art, that first episode hooked a lot of people. And you kind of knew what the series was about afterwards. Admittedly, it did fumble here and there. It made a lot of promises, and then you got yeah. a rom com. <laughs> like it's it's very so different. luckily progressive <laughs> changed that a bit. You know, you're getting the things, you're getting the promises that you were supposed to get. Thankfully, because it was rewritten and it's presented differently, and Reki Garahara is technically a better writer now. So you're the stuff that you want. It's in progressive now, and funny enough, all the stuff, all the promises that it originally made, you get that in seasons after Einkrad, which is so odd. All the promises that it sort of, you know, to tie it all back into the, I guess the, I guess that's going to be the theme of this freaking episode. Keep up with your promises. And make sure you understand yeah. what you're promising, right? Because, like, it's very easy to make unintentional promises in certain things. Uh, but if you keep things simple, you keep things light, you try not to overcomplicate it, it makes it easier on your readers. And more importantly, it makes it easier on you to either further develop things later um, or change things entirely without having to suffer too many yeah, actual prose literature. I will 100 percent say that I'm not really the biggest on, which is why I'm trying to read more. But, you know, light novels, manga and a lot of other Japanese media and a lot of other, you know, uh, just media in general, other, you know, American comics and Bond Disney. I do, I guess uh, I'm a avid reader of, you know, entertainment fiction, I should say. So uh, mm. I guess this is nice. So 
here's the like the the two different viewpoints as someone who actually has content and story and something to show for their work it's nice to get that from hero but as someone who's read a lot of this stuff and thinks you know i'm kind of burnt out of reading x y and z because they're not doing the thing for me or they're doing this thing i'm kind of tired of insert trope here i'm kind of tired of you insert bad writing thing here (laughs) you know it's just another thing Mm -hmm. that i just noticed as this conversation is going oh my god i just can't sometimes with this so with you know you got sort of really hooking you in with the first episode you have everyone has their tolerance as to how much they're gonna read or watch before they get into something usually i mean that's just Mm -hmm. how stories have evolved unfortunately if you look back and read a lot of the classics the pacing might be a little off but they didn't care about needing to hook you at the beginning you read frankenstein or uh journey to the west well, it's probably closer that they yeah, yeah, yeah. had different priorities when trying to Nowadays, do that. you know, you yeah. are encouraged to hook you in on the first chapter or the first oh, book. Yeah. The standards are yeah, way yeah. higher. You're in a much more competitive environment, like thousands and thousands of right. fold. So it's definitely uh, interesting to see in terms of a storyteller perspective. I've been trying to uh, work on some of my own stuff right now. The only plus side that I could say that I did get done to kind of tie it back, because we kind of skipped over my week. Uh, my week, I ended up uh, <laughs> I ended up working on another character profile because I enjoy making sure that I have my character documents, I have the storyline for them, and I have. If I was going to give this, it's a character bible, which um, uh, is usually needed in terms of whenever you have a series that you want to do or a, a story you're working on. It's nice to have everything written down and a document that you can give to someone and say, here's X. I'm giving you X. Not only that, but it's just, it's just better to have like some sort of referential material. So you don't have to remember everything. It's so difficult to fucking Um, remember uh, everything. Write it down. You're like, you can't see me right now, but I'm doing that. Like pressing my fingers against the, my, the, my eyes on my nose thing, just cause it's, Yes. I'm doing that right now because so many, because we're both in a lot of art discords and obviously they're going to be writers in there. So many of these people don't write their stuff down. It's like, oh, uh, do you have a character? Like they're asking me to, you know, give some critiques on their stuff. And they t- give me like paragraphs of text in Discord. And I'm thinking, wait, do you not have this all written down somewhere? You don't have like a Google Doc or a word document or do you not have a thing that you can just send to me that you can encrypt it if you want or whatever yada yada thing you want to have for privacy or so on and so forth if do you just have something you can send to me uh, i can just read over and say oh uh x y and z could be a little better but i enjoy a b and c and so many of them are like no it's all in my head for the love of chinchin can you please write your stuff down you're gonna forget stuff you're gonna say, "Oh, I was gonna do this with this character," and then you're working, and then you're working on the comic, and then you inadvertently create a plot hole because you forgot something of your own character, which kind of seems dumb. But then you realize, well, if everything you have on the characters in your head, we're all, you know, we're only human. We're gonna forget stuff, right? Not only that, but 
if you think about it in just terms of quantity, right, you have an entire storehouse of information. You have to remember everything about the world. You have to remember everything about the people. You have to remember everything about the magic system, which all if all of those things are complicated, they go very deep. Then you have to remember all the things about the main characters. Then you have to remember all the things about the side characters. Then you have to remember it's too much, way too much going on. Get yourself a wiki, anything, and just write it. Write it in. Make it definitive. Say, this is it. If you want to change things as you're writing them, you can just update your yeah. wiki. But by God, have a wiki. Uh, I'm, I'm actually happy that you said, like, a wiki page because I have um, – I went digging. So I have some documents from, like, actual series that have their stuff lined out. Mm-hmm. And it's almost uh, – insert studios series bible slash character bible pdf that they got to fill out for their like whatever show they're going to make right so i found a bunch of those and i just compiled the stuff that's relevant for me and what i wanted to do mine are all uh character name age yada yada i ended up getting rid of the physical description because that's more for when they're going to hire an actor and actress to fill the role like oh looking for um the character is uh this height roughy looking has to have facial hair or whatever so on and so forth so i ended up getting rid of that but instead i turned that but but instead i kept a different one which was for a comic uh i kept the artistic description because at the time it was just because you know they start off usually you know writer yada yada here's what the character here's what i think she's gonna look like and then give it to the artist boom they have the description and then a link or an actual uh image of the character design now so Mine's very technical and so on and so forth. I have um, the Meyer Briggs in my stuff. So um, I believe that's what it's called. Anything, anything to help kind of convey who these people yeah. are, right? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know if uh, that many people know what I, I might have mispronounced it. It's the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, let me actually bring it up real quick. It's the, actually, it might just be easier to just open up the file itself. So the uh, actual name for this, it's your personality. So what some people say, uh, your ex personality. Yeah, it's your Meyer Briggs personality. So you have your. Yeah. Uh, so for some characters, let's say they're more shy or passive or yeah, yeah. There's an actual like code for that personality type that you have. So. I, right, the, the four letter kind of identifier yeah, yeah, yeah. and then within those four letter identifiers there's also like a pass like a more uh aggressive or passive i think like th- even those are split up into two different types for the personality so per- i right have- and then you have, yeah you have inter you have introvert extrovert or like your yeah, two yeah. uh then i don't know what the next two are and then you have your passive and active yeah, so you know not that many people need to know that not that many people need to care how that for their characters. That's just me. You know, everyone has their own way of doing it. Just make sure you please write it down. You know, just I don't know how many times we're going to inadvertently just bring up the topic again, but for the love of Chinchin, just write your stuff down, man. It's... Right. Not only does it help you uh, keep track of your stuff, but now you have that idea, you can see if it's good or not. Like, oh, I want to do this with this character. I'm reading it. I'm... Yeah, once it's out of your head, you can divorce yourself from the concept and think about it a little more objectively. Yeah, which, yeah, being objective on your own work is very important because you definitely want to make sure if you're going to do a series and if you're going to try and promise people these things and then you decide later, oops, I one forgot or two decided, eh, it wasn't a good idea. I'm going to keep, I'm going to go with this one instead. 
you're kind of betraying your audience at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, great example. Because you promised them one thing, what they subscribed for. Like, if you think about it, like a YouTube channel or a webtoon yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that, people subscribe to these things, right? When they subscribe to it, they subscribe to it when it's in a particular state with particular expectations. It could be from chapter one, that could be chapter 100. Who cares? The point is, you want to maintain trajectory and not uh, circumvent for circumvention's sake. You don't want to change things just because you got bored with them. You want to make sure that they're motivated and have a purpose, and you have to bring people along, right? You have to... Uh, keep in mind that you're like a driver of a cab and if you just start taking left turns and right turns people are going to get scared and freak out where the fuck you're taking them because you could be a serial killer One, there uh, that's a does it's this. an extreme case but yes is air gear i don't know if you've read air yes gear. all right i love air gear bro dude all <laughs> right so i know you i'm about to tear the new yeah i'm about to tear into it Go for it. Go remember, for it. I love it because it's entertaining, not because it's. Do good. you remember? Oh yeah, no, oh great's art. It's freaking great. Uh, ha ha, funny. Uh, he he draws things really well. I definitely I, I'm digging what he's doing with Monogatari. I don't like Monogatari, but I like how how he's adapting it. It's definitely uh. Yeah, I like for me. I'm like I'm not going to read it, but I appreciate. Yeah, it. I appreciate nice. that he's doing a decent mix of uh the anime style and kind of his own spiel. But anyway, so. Gear is a series that definitely does the I'm going to turn left instead of right and starts the series off very differently. You have your main character mm-hmm. giving, you know, uh, soliloquies about how you're holding me down and uh, gra- like some whatever thing that he keeps repeating about gravity and being held down and wanting to fly and so on and so forth, where, you know, the first couple volumes of the series, they didn't really use the gear. It wasn't really about the gear. It suddenly became about all this other crazy air gear nonsense later in the series. Like, he didn't even want to have the gear at first. No, he did. He wanted to like feel. He wanted to feel a specific feeling. He felt grounded. Uh, he was constantly under the thumb of his roommates. Uh, he was getting into fights and being a delinquent and stuff like that. He, he was essentially oppressed by society and he wanted a form of freedom that he saw represented in the air gear specifically by swallow uh, who he just happened to see performing air gear stunts um in this like uh kind of ravine area or whatever that she was in because she would be flying through the sky and he's like that's a form of freedom that i want he didn't realize until later kind of like what he was talking about at first he thought of it as like the up object of air gear and the object of the woman mm-hmm. right which is you know it, it's its own complicated it's very complicated that's why it's like i mean i say you know yeah it didn't really come up it, it didn't really become about the air gear until then it's like well it kind of was it's just you know he didn't know he wanted it until much later uh, but he didn't know exactly what he wanted, essentially. So he wanted the air gear. He wanted the woman. He got involved in this underworld, and then he discovered something about it that was neither the air gear nor the woman that he started pursuing yeah. instead. And I think that's the shift that you're yeah, talking about, where it like takes a left turn because you think it's about the sport, but really it's about fighting God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It's just it's a very hard shift right there, bro. <laughs> you uh it'd be another example would be uh shokugeki no soma it's a cooking manga imagine you know like five volumes in he suddenly it suddenly becomes about cooking and being a chef and so on and so forth joining the school to be uh 
a good chef and so on and so forth. Like it suddenly becomes about it and not, you know, you're yeah. cooking good food from chapter one to save your restaurant. Oh, a better example of this would be uh, Hitman Reborn. Actually. Oh, right. right it where it starts out as a, yeah, it started out as a gag series about this guy who dies and revives um, and is in some way tied to the mafia because the original concept wasn't strong enough to uh, hold its own. Yeah. So eventually he gets into a fight and all of a sudden it becomes like a power fantasy. Dude, I think it was because it just wasn't oh funny. So many people like another series where it quote unquote gets good. And it says, oh, you only need to make eight volumes in before the series gets good. It's like, no, it suddenly became what the series is eight volumes in, because that's when it shifted to something that could work. I've only yes. seen parts of the anime. I definitely liked bits of it. I don't like like the main character at all. But apparently like a friend of mine who actually read the series, because unfortunately it was canceled in English. Thank you, Viz Media. So yeah. We didn't get it. They're scanlations. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it, but someone who actually uh, <laughs> someone who actually read the series uh, had told me he's like, okay, I know what you think. He's like, yeah, I know you know what I think. He gets better, and he's actually kind of cool near the end. Personally, I liked the ring and the gauntlet mechanic. Like that was cool to me. Uh, everything else was kind of whatever or bullshit, really. It's a uh... I'll have to I'll maybe one day give it another go. I haven't like I haven't finished it. That's important yeah. to know. I got to the part where people say that it gets good, where it like turns into an actual battle series. Mm -hmm. Um, and he starts getting these like extra abilities and stuff like that. Like, um, but it just uh, one thing about Hitman Reborn more than anything else is like it's very stylish. All the characters look good. Um for the most right. part. Right. Like you take a look at like uh, I'm looking at uh, cover 33 here of Hitman Reborn, mm -hmm. where it's got the main character uh, with the flame on his head. And he's got like these glowing eyes and he's got this giant red gauntlet with rings on it. And it's like covered in gems, like an infinity stone situation going on. He's like holding it up next to his face and it just looks fucking sick. Like not not knowing anything about the series. You're like, yo. This looks good. It looks like Mare on steroids. Like it's it's really cool. Uh, but then you read it and you're like, oh, this is fucking stupid. I hate it. Hate it so bad. Uh, but the powers and stuff, I don't remember them. I just remember liking them. Like I liked the gimmick. Um, but it was mainly the fact that it was tied to these like gloves and gauntlets and stuff. Because you don't see that in anime and manga. They don't do gloves and gauntlets very often. Mm -hmm. I think maybe it's just because people don't like drawing hands or something. I don't know. Uh, the closest kind of example would be like Air Gear's, uh, the, their Air Gear, um, where like the designs get more and more complicated around the feet and they adopt more like um, gear and whatever. Yeah. So it's like, it, as opposed to the hands, it's the feet and Air Gear. Right. Okay. Definitely. Uh, I'll do that. Oh, man. It's good. It's good. Uh, I'm trying to think. So uh, to <laughs> go on to tangents, I got to remember where uh, we broke off again. So I've been we're trying. We're talking about your yeah. week, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, the I wasn't really able to make as much progress as I wanted to. The thing that I was able to do was I got my character going. Yeah, I finally have my own fox girl, and I am digging her. Because you want to know why? Fox girls are objectively the best. You may disagree, but it's okay to have a wrong opinion. Okay. They are the personally. I like mice and rabbit girls. I can appreciate the rabbit mice is uh, I've only seen one 
and it's uh, in Venus Blood Hollow. And she was cute. She's a, she was yeah. a merchant, and at one point in the game, they're like, all right, they need to interrogate her because they're like, all right, so we know you know where this character is. It's they hypnotize her to tell everyone where she is, and then you go capture the angel and yada yada. It there's a lot, so I've only really seen it done like once. So that's the only mice the mice character that I've seen. Rabbit. Yeah, it's very. It's not very popular. Yeah. It's more popular in Western media. So you have like the girl from um, American Tale. Uh, she's really cute. Then you have um, what's her name from Rescue Rangers? There's what's her. Yeah, and then uh, for anime and like other stuff, I haven't really seen it at all, other than Nezumi from Soul Eater, uh, the witch, the yeah, mouse yeah. witch, very cute. And then there's uh, Lightning Warrior Raidy, one of the games that I've played. All right, um, I have all three games. There's a mouse enemy in that. Yeah, I, I played. I played with a friend of mine. We were looking up strategy guides and stuff. It was really it's a, fun. It's a dungeon crawlers. I can understand why they're not as popular, but yeah, it's it is what it is. Bunny, it's kind of easy because that one is it's. Uh huh. I was going to say, it's, like, it's a little bit difficult to get into because uh, they kind of just drop you in and then you have to stumble your way through until you find the map and actually start making progress. Yeah, they're fun for what they are. Definitely, you got to know this is a dungeon crawler of its time. Today, so many people are trained on it. The, the, the special effects need to be mega, super precise and clean and yada, yada. They want Avengers stuff. But then you see like TV tokusatsu have been getting by with, you know, kind of subpar CGI and so on and so forth to tell their stories. And it reminds me of, um, I don't like the guy personally now because of stuff, but there's a, T a YouTube series called history of power Rangers by, uh, one of the channel awesome people. And one of the things that he said during his power Rangers in space episode was yes, Obviously, that's such a weird adaptation to do, doing Mega Ranger, a video game themed Sentai and making it a space themed Power Ranger season. <laughs> oh, man. Like the Mega Voyager and the um, the Astro Mega Ship. Yeah, they're space themed. I don't recall what the uh, uh, the Sentai equivalent is, but they look like spaceship stuff. They do go into space when they get the Mega when they get the uh, the Mega Voyager equivalent in Sentai. They come they come from the moon. Wow. So so it, there is some space stuff stuff in it, but it's but it is primarily a video game right uh, type type season. So when he was talking about it, it's like, yeah, you know, the effects are subpar, but you don't need great effects to tell an amazing story. Yeah. And you're right. And that's kind of why I dug a lot of the Ultraman stuff, because it, it's all practical effects. Some of the special effects are just for powers and some other stuff, but it is predominantly guys in suits, uh, miniature work, and just very very good camera work yeah. there's a scene in an ultraman trigger where you, you literally see through a building you know you see all like obviously there's no people in it but you see through a building this kaiju fight and it shot so cool that you can feel like oh i'm like if you're watching this through your window because there's always that scene where um i think it's done in a couple of the uh, marvel movies where there's people in a boardroom and they see like a superhero fight happening outside their window, mm. but it's kind of shot in a way to where it's like, okay, so, you know, they're just staring through like, oh, it's green screen. And then they're looking at whatever. Yeah. Whereas the way it's shot with Ultraman, it's literally a guy pointing a camera 
through the window and seeing this kaiju fight happening. So you're at ground level. Mm. So you yourself, the audience, are seeing what's going on. It's it's I know what they're doing to show this shot. I know, okay, so we're not at they're they're not actually super big people. It's just clever editing and work. But it doesn't break the illusion. You know, even knowing the trick, it doesn't break it. Like, oh, I'm you're a magician trying to do the pigeon out of the hat trick, and I know it. I know what you're doing, but it doesn't stop it from being cool. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's like the, there are some jarring moments where you where it doesn't work 100%. But that 98%, Ultra's got it locked. It, it comes back all the way to the beginning of what we were talking about is like the suspension of disbelief and the promises that you're making in your media, right? If people expect yeah. bad uh, special effects, especially if you're working with like aged footage and that kind of thing, there's like a certain level of disbelief yeah. that they'll have to reach in order to maintain uh, engagement with the media. And all of that relies on the story and characters primarily. Um, how you're acting or storytelling or like even in a novel, how your prose delivers the story is completely uh, determining how other people buy into that story. That's kind of the reason, like, I don't like watching or I don't like reading light novels personally, because a lot of them, a good chunk of them are written in a kind of conversational tone, Um, at least for for like translation from Japanese to American. I don't know if this is like a different thing, but uh, uh, for American English or whatever, a lot of them, when you try and read them, they're written in more of a conversational tone, like somebody's talking to you about the story. I personally do not vibe with that, so I can't read light novels. Uh, but I could read other types of novels because it's more of like a uh, uh, more of a, a prose that I'm familiar with, a very narrative storytelling right. prose. I will say that uh, a lot of light novels do have somewhat weaker prose. Which, like um, to bring it back to um, you know my comparison earlier, to where you know you have pulp magazines that are trying to be uh, pulp magazines are cheap entertainment, but they're still held to a level of actual literature like you're reading you know a wild wild west story right next to like you're at the uh newsstand and right next to this magazine with a bottle with a bunch of western pulps you have prose literature things that people will say like you know see i'm educated i read frankenstein i read this i read that you read westerns and yada yada but prose wise they're still on par with each other whereas with light novels, there is, um, I will say, a lot of the more popular stuff that we get and a lot of the stuff that is licensed is the weaker stuff. It's obviously, you, you can't make a, I don't want to make a broad statement about uh, a certain medium without, you know, at least putting a little asterisk there and saying, okay, the stuff that we're getting, the stuff that we can actually get in English is the weaker stuff, but we have gotten, you know, the better pro stuff. There's our Oni. Uh, I personally don't like the series, but the Monogatari series, the prose is stronger than your average typical light novel. Whereas, you know, you read, um, is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon or strike the blood or, uh, irregular at magic high school, the story and the prose may seem a little lacking. Mm. And this is coming from someone who doesn't even read that much. And I've read the light novels and just the sheer, and comparing light novels to some of the actual books that I'm reading now, like actual fiction, I can see why I struggle a bit because I'm more used to the easier kind of dumbed down stuff. But now I need to actually somewhat use my head and like process what I'm reading. So that's going to be my uh, challenge for this new episode. 
to myself so we can kind of bring it all back and tie that nice little bow on this episode. The challenge I want to give to myself for this week was or is I want I'm going to start this book, Fighters of Fear. It's a short story anthology uh short ah, excuse me, I'm a little excited cuz uh I, I literally have it in my digits right now. Occult Detective Stories, Fighters of Fear, edited by Mike Ashley. And there's a lot of uh, supernatural stories and, uh, you know, occult detective stories in here because I definitely want to do uh, it, one of the projects that I want to launch is uh, I know we were talking about earlier how everyone wants to do their multiverse, yada, yada, big, crazy uh, stuff. Uh, I'm building up to that, but definitely I understand. Let me do some short stories. Let me do some uh, let me build a body of work before I think I'm qualified to do interconnected whatever stuff, something like the Cosmere, which is funny. I know more about the Cosmere by other people telling me about it than actual reading it. But most of the videos that I've seen talking about it has been non-spoiler, uh, more like a roadmap and a guide right. than, oh, I'm, I'm going to tell you how, I, I'm going to pretend I know what I'm talking about with The Way of Kings or Mistborn and try and BS my way through a conversation like I know what I'm talking about, which it's super easy to tell when you don't, though. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. <laughs> and <laughs> I've had this as like a conversation with somebody in the past, um, uh, where like my piece of advice to him was to be smarter than his audience because he was very convinced that he could get away by giving it, putting in the bare minimum, uh, with explaining certain mm -hmm. things, right? And so he would talk to me about like technology and the way that it works as explained in his story. And then I would try and correct him and be like, well, that's not like people who know anything about technology are going to find that ridiculous because that's not how that thing that you're explaining works. And uh, he would be like, no, it's fine because it doesn't matter. It's just for the story. It's just to explain some certain things like, yeah, but it's going to draw like if I'm distracted by that fact, other people are going to be distracted by that fact. And it's it's mainly going to be the people who like understand and know it. So it's like not a huge detriment, but it's enough of one that if people like people are going to call you out on it, they're going to understand and try to correct you on it or like fix your thing or whatever. And then, of course, he got really defensive and started talking about like what his previous job was as in the technical field or yeah. whatever. And I'm like, OK, but the reason like you understand the reason that I made this assumption about you not understanding the concept is because you explain the concept in a way in which it was very easy to tell that you did not understand the concept because you were missing key information or you were making things up as you went or whatever. Um, and it, it goes back again to the promises. It was like, oh, I'm promising to give you this thing about web development, but I'm going to pretend web development solves magical problems. Okay, but it doesn't though. So just, you know, let's, yeah. let's establish no. that. <laughs> You don't need to be an expert in whatever you're talking about. Like, oh, I don't need to be a uh, I don't need to be a software developer to tell a story about a software developer. I can do some research to make sure that I'm not, you know, butchering what they're doing. But I don't need to, you know, fucking learn five years worth of stuff in order to tell a story about someone being a software developer. Unless you're, you know, making a manga about being a software developer or a comic or a book mm -hmm. you know specifically about his day-to-day -day life being a software developer you don't need to do that much research but you do kind of need to you know don't have to be an expert you do need to be familiar with like concepts and right. stuff that you're writing about right, right? thank you 
uh, unlike a certain individual that wants to say that you got to be it to do it. I got to be, a, I, I can only be a software developer, so I can only tell those stories, which is oh, such a fucking weird way of logic. But yeah. I want to be able to, uh, you know, if I've been given the advice, if you want to tell certain types of stories, you know, you should uh, read certain types of stories and see how the people before you did it. So one short story that I'm trying to work on is I'm going to rewrite. Uh, I'm going to see how I can do it. Because it's a certain amount of words a day for this week. By next episode, I plan on at least having 7.5K words on a short story introducing. Because I did this for my uh, writing uh, Discord that I'm in now. We did a short story needing to introduce our characters. I want to rewrite it. Because I, back you know, in earlier episode before, I had said, you know, oh, crazy. If you rewrite your story, it not only does it flow better, not only do you get your ideas better, but it just... It's so much stronger than it is than turning in your first draft. And even now, I'm rereading what I put. I don't really... I want to put more. I want to turn it into a proper, full, beginning, middle, and end story. So while I'm going to be doing that, I'm going to be obviously working on the character document stuff, which, yay, I got my own fox girl. I'm happy. She's mm-hmm. uh, she's an arcane trickster. So obviously not a... Uh, I believe there's a Senko... And then uh, Yako, I think it was. There's the good fox and then the bad fox. Mm. And she's not the good one. I'll just say that. She ain't evil. But she ain't, uh, she's definitely going to be, uh, the way I had it was. Yeah. She's just, I mean, she's not bad. But, you know, she's not, uh, she's not a fox that's going to be worshipped at a shrine. Definitely uh, the very smug type character. There's a image that I sent to someone where it's, you know, the cute fox girl doing the fox ears thing, the you know the fox, uh, the fox fingers, and then she's looking smug at the camera, sticking her tongue out, being all cute, like he he he, all smug. And I'm thinking this is entirely her. That's her personality. She's smart. Mm-hmm. She's smug, and she knows it. But you can't really. Oh I, I want to make sure I get her character correct. A lot of uh, thinking about it now. Uh, might have been influenced from Holo, from Spice and Wolf, which, ironically enough, I designed her to not be... You know, she was entirely a different character. And yet here I'm thinking, you mm. know what? I could see... I'm getting a lot of inspiration from Holo. She's not going to have the same personality type, but I'm getting, like, okay, so this is what this character did. I'm digging it, so I'm going to do... I'm, I'm taking her in a different direction. You know, taking an inspiration from a character and saying, you know what? This works, but I'm not going to do exactly that. I'm going to have it be something else, so... I'm I'm being vague because I haven't fully committed to everything yet. I have a character design, name, and parts of a uh, a document that you would have for a wiki. I got most of the wiki done. I just want to make sure I iron out all the good stuff for the wiki so that way I can definitively say she's a character, not a collection of quirks. (laughs) So short uh, goals for my week and probably goals for this month for me personally. I want to... At least have one more character. I want to have two char- two character documents done to make sure for sure I have. Because I have two characters right now that both have designs and partial documents finished. I want to iron out everything for both of them. And then by the end of the month, I will definitively say... So that's about uh, two, three more episodes after this one. To say definitively, boom, I have these two characters. These are characters. And now I can tell stories with them for sure and at least attempt to be readable. Right. It will be worth, it will be somewhat worth your time to at least check it out. 
I wouldn't want to put something out. If I don't like it, I know for sure someone else is going to like it. So going to have those characters worked on for this. That's for the month. I want to finish this occult detective story hardcover. There's like, uh, how many pages is this thing? Wow. There's six. Yeah, I mean, to, to, I guess, give a little context, though, um, it's currently April. I guess, yes, when we're talking about this, so you, you like it just turned April, so you want to be by the end of April. Yeah, by the end of April, I want to be. I want to finish. It's a six hundred page book, but there's a lot of short stories in here. So mm. uh, read about X amount of stories a week, day, and I'll have it done before the end of the month. And then I want to okay. at least have two short stories written. You know, so I'd have two weeks to finish both. So that way, it's not. I, I was doing the short story for uh, the writing Discord, and I realized, well, crap! I just gave myself another NaNoWriMo because I need to write X amount of day uh, words a day if I'm going to meet my own deadline. So I figured, you know, let me give me two weeks to do it because I jumped in the NaNoWriMo last time, just kind of winging it, and I'm definitely a plotter instead of a pantser. So yeah. I'd rather know the direction I'm going in before instead of just like throwing up words onto a page because if you just do that, right. it's not as readable. Immediately, I change the direction of the like the the way the story is told by go be being by being a plotter instead of a pantser, and it read better. I guess I'm more of a plotter than a pantser. So that's my that, that's my goal. Let's do Fighters of Fear. Have this done by the end of the month. Two short stories at least. With uh, I'll probably do my one character because she's at least somewhat fleshed out more than my fox, and I'll have at least their two short stories, two character docs fully fleshed out, or at least. Uh, up to par, and then finish a book. What's uh, nice. what's your goals uh, for this great month of April, Mr. Hero? Watch more tokusatsu, um, get a couple of manga pages done, and uh, hopefully get more anime work. I want to ramp that up over the next month. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. That sounds like a... Seems like we got a, we got a strong April going. Hey, Hero, I get the honor of talking to you every Sunday. But what if there's a topic or a question I want answered, but don't want to wait forever to get it answered? Well, G9, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> don't do drugs. Radical. Listen, kids. Email us at uncoveredcanvaspodcast at gmail.com. I'm sorry, what was that? That's uncoveredcanvaspodcast at gmail.com. Did you say uncovered canvas podcast at gmail.com? No, I said uncovered canvas podcast at gmail.com. Wow. wow.